You have now arrived at Stadium Engale. Ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Stadium and Girls. Uncle Silk. This your boy, 35, the All-American. And it's Dan. Dapper Dan at 35. We're back with an epic week on Stadium and Girl, man. How y'all feeling? Oh, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. We're lined up. I'm excited. We get to bring on one of my historic guys that uh, that I've been trying to preach about for a long, long time, um, and Wes Chandler, and then we've got the uh, the big show, the big guy, the urban legend, Urban Meyer himself is gonna come hang out with the good fellas of Stadium Miguel. Man, we're just trying to provide you guys with the best content. We we quarantining, but the, the the podcast ain't quarantining. We still out here. We outside. No. The podcast outside. Outside. We out here, man. We we are out here, Amon. No, no, no cheer. We out here. Out here. Okay. Right. I got it. Uh, before we get too deep into this, uh, this podcast is brought to you by uh, the Thomas Firm. The Thomas Firm is going to handle all of your insurance claims, property damage um, to either your homes or businesses. So uh, their lawyers have over 20 years of experience with roof damage and leaks from storms. We had a nasty storm come through this Tampa Bay area last uh, last Thursday. So if, if that affected you, I know I got a small leak in my roof. I fixed it, but maybe you weren't able to. Give them a call. Uh, any water damage, hail damage, hurricane damage, sinkholes, fires, uh, whatever it might be, uh, they work all over Florida. Uh, so give them a call. Their phone number is 813-221-2525. And then again, uh, with the COVID-19, they are handling all cases in which you your business might have been financially impacted uh, by uh, by state or local governments closing down your business or restricting movements. So uh, give them a call, 813-221-2525, and they'll help you with, uh, with all of your options and, and give you a free consultation. So again, the Thomas Firm, 813-221-2525. Your Thomas firm. I like it. Dan, what you get into this weekend? What did I get into? So Thursday night, we'll talk a little bit more about it. We had the draft uh, stuff going on. And then Friday, I uh, did a little bit of that. Uh, hung out with uh, with some friends, uh, just a couple of us, just just two of us. And then on uh, on Sunday, I went out boating. Um, we took a, we took a boat out to uh, out to St. Pete into the uh, the disappearing uh, sandbars that are out there. I uh, had a fantastic time. I uh, got a little bit of flack, and then a bunch of people hopped into my mentions. I wasn't looking at my phone while I was there. Uh, we were social distancing. We kept our space, but uh, but if you were offended uh, that we are going to spread COVID-19, uh, I apologize, and, and certainly didn't mean to do that. Dan's quarantining is, is not... It's very, very different than yours. It's not Stadium and Gale approved. No, I, I did not clear with HR or the, the federal <laughs> government. It, it is definitely not um, it's definitely not shelter in place. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, Ma, what'd you get into? Oh man, I, I I was quarantined. I don't know about Dan, but I you know I was I was at the house, man. I got I got got a, the young one here, so with both of my young ones. Um, so I didn't really do too much. I uh, enjoyed the drive. Got a Word. got a chance to to watch the drive. This this might be the first draft in a, in a while that I kind of like really was tuned into. 
you know, from there and they start to finish because for the simple fact that we don't have any sports right now. So it uh it consumed a lot of my time and then I caught the uh, the Bulls documentary on Sunday, man, and uh you know that that man Rodman was a wild guy, man. What you think about Rodman? So hey, don't spoil it for me, man. I I didn't get to check it last night. Uh, I, I plan on watching it, but wild. I, I was like a kid the day before Christmas, the day before the first day of school with this interview today. So I went to bed early, man. I was in bed by nine. Out of there. Sleep. Um, I was like you this weekend. Enjoyed the draft. Kicked it. Uh, watched almost, I watched every pick. I may have missed one or two picks here and there if I was taking out the trash or something. But I was deep into it, watching all our, our guys get drafted. Um, I didn't get into it. We had the live show the night of the draft and Friday night as well. So uh, if you guys haven't checked it on, on uh, Big Three Roll-Ups YouTube, we did a live show with uh, me, Ahmad, Dan was there, uh, the Big Three Roll-Up crew, Kev, Newberg, uh, TJ. And also we had Redell Anthony, uh, George Foster, former Georgia Bulldog, Benji Brown, comedian. Who am I missing, Dan? Uh, Sean, Sean King. King. Uh, Sean, King. Yeah, Sean King got oh. in his bag. Sean King got in his bag. So if you haven't checked that out, go back and check that out. Um, a few more other guys uh, hung out with us, man. But overall, fun show, something different um, for us to get into. We were talking about the draft. Um, I actually like the draft. It was different this year. The guys couldn't walk up to the podium and do their little thing and shake Goodell's hand. But I like the coverage of these guys at home with their family and, and in that atmosphere. What was you guys' overall opinion of the draft? Um, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was cool to see, see them, like you said, celebrate with their families. I wish some of them, uh, would have shown all of the people that were there. Cause I find it hard to believe that Joe Burrow was just celebrating with his mom and dad. Uh, I wanted to see some bigger parties out there, but, uh, you know, I thought it went well, uh, to this day, I still wish the NFL draft just moved a little bit quicker. Uh, that's my only, uh, that's my only I guess flaw with it is, you know, it still seemed really, really slow. I mean, because we hopped on our live stream for the draft at 7.30. Draft started yeah. at 8, and we didn't get off until 12.40, 12.45. So uh, it's just it's just a long day for for first round. But but I thought it went I thought it went uh, well overall, especially considering circumstances. What do you think about it, Lamar? I'm, I'm with Dan. I, I just think it's, it could move a little bit faster. I mean, bro, you got from the end of last season – and you got the combine, and then you, with your senior bowl and all that, you kind of somewhat know what you're going, what you're looking at to possibly drive, bro. And yeah, but take- I think they be doing a lot of negotiating and talking behind the scenes. I'm pretty sure teams be hitting them up, so they be fielding offers, yeah. uh, probably trade up. It's a lot of behind the scenes that's going. It's I don't lot, think it's a lot of behind the scenes, dog. Yeah, they be it was just a lot of drive foot too. So, uh, but at the end of the day, we can't complain. You know, it's the same drive length that it been for years. I wish it was two days longer. Yeah. Yeah, ain't nothing on TV. They could have made it. <laughs> we, we, they should have. They should have let them drive or let the undrafted free agent guys sign their papers on TV. Let's do that. <laughs> I saw them, huh? no, <laughs> I it got was time. The, it was the largest first round in TV um, history. Yeah, I think they said fifteen point six million people were watching. It's just so weird because the, the first, the first up the, the first ten picks, we already know who going. We already know the order almost. You know what I'm saying? I think the second round is when you start getting to like, all right. You know who my team gonna pick? You get what I'm saying? Because we already mm-hmm. know who, who, pretty much who the first rounders are, bro. It's the same people they hyped up all season long. We know that. You know, it ain't gonna be nothing different. Now I was round, a bit shocked how early, um, because I had we all had uh, C.J. Henderson going in the first round. 
Yeah. Um, we spoke about it on this show. If I wanted <laughs> CJ Henderson on the Jags, and I, and I said I did, but not for his sake. We talked about but, that. Yeah, we talked about that. <laughs> lo and behold, like Dan asked that question. He set me up. Lo and behold, we draft him at nine. Yeah. And um, I I didn't think we would go CJ Henderson. And my, I'm ecstatic that we got him. I thought Henderson would go like ten or eleven. Yeah. Or, and somebody like Dallas would probably move up and get him at that spot. But man, um, that kid went number nine. There was some some crazy fans out there that suggested he should probably play in the bowl game or even come back this year. Yeah. Um, some of these people are delusional, don't know how this works, man. Regardless of, of what they may have seen on film, a lot of times these guys don't know assignments and whatnot. But regardless of what they seen on his film, when he got in that in, in the combine in the weight room, he was gonna be a specimen and test very well. And his film isn't his film is elite as well, too. Like, it's I don't hard know why to be perfect I, for three years. I just don't understand. You know, this this is what what was baffling me a little bit. Man, come on, bro. I, I see these goofy ass Florida State fans and these goofy ass Miami fans. Bro, this man ain't really hardly, what one time he got scored on in in, in like three years, bro. Yeah, they they talk like his film is just awful. Yes, he missed what a couple tackles. It happens, bro. I seen Ray Lewis miss tackles. You trying to tell me he can't tackle? The game you of football. Nobody play perfect. It's football, yeah. bro. Nobody, you gonna miss tackles? Well, ain't nobody mm-hmm. say nothing when Delpit missed all them damn tackles every week. What they say? Oh, but <laughs> slowed them down. Nobody talk about that. Talk yeah. about talk about the, the dude they got on the field who supposed to tackle people and save the day. He can't do it, but he's Listen, still Listen, man, anybody that watched football, anybody that watched football knew what knew what uh, what Henderson was about to go in the draft. Yeah, it was right. a waste of time arguing on the timeline, and it's a waste of time arguing with them people now that got opinions now. Like yeah. NFL execs wanted him at that spot. Like, who are you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm gonna argue with a guy that's just on Twitter and that that's a central worker. Now I trust NFL Zex, bro. They, they got to figure it out. Now and then, now now it's a whole thing about because he said he didn't want number twenty. I won't want no damn number twenty either. Now did right. he say he was better or worse than somebody? Nah. But now no. why y'all got to? People y'all are crazy. Compare? They yeah, just man. give they give the draft guys the number. Some 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 NFL franchise give the guys the number real quick of the year. It's yeah. 2020, bro. Um, that's not meant to be his jersey. He's not telling Jaguars he don't want that jersey. Jaguars gave him that jersey because it's just 2020 and they got to give him something to take pictures. They stupid, bro. <laughs> but, but you know. It's really that simple. <laughs> don't, 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 hey, still, don't be too right on, on the podcast, man. For hey, people. man. I, just try to, I try to educate the ignorant. That's what they, I'm here for. They goofy, bro. So Absolutely. I've always said if the number one thing that you can complain about being a cornerback is that their tackling maybe isn't up to snuff, then then that's probably the least of your concern. We talking about and Florida State yeah. fans talking like Dion's like yeah. the, the the best corner of all the time. He couldn't tackle. He could save his life, man. Right. We ain't talking yeah. about that, bro. Yeah, we, no, CJ. I think CJ's going to be a really good player uh, in the NFL. I think he'll be right. good for the Jags, and uh, I'm I'm super happy for him. I, I thought he was going to get picked somewhere between like 13 and 20. Um, but to go number nine, I mean, that's that's a huge difference just in terms of guaranteed money and everything else. I'm very, very happy for CJ. Absolutely, man. Don't oh, and stop. big and big shout out to uh, to Papa Wilson. He uh, he broke that news on our live stream right before it happened, so uh, we were able to put that out on Twitter before uh, before Schefter and the rest of them were able to, or Kuiper, whoever else does the draft. Yeah, we got that out a little early. We had some, yeah, and that's somebody else was ever hanging out the live. I forgot to say. Chad Wilson, he was hanging out with us too on that live. Uh, let's talk about the rest of the draft while we, we're talking about CJ. Um, yep. Another person that went earlier than I thought, Van Jefferson, yep. a guy that didn't get to work out, have a combine. He was 
pretty much had to go get surgery. They found out he had an injury when he went to go do his physical. So he didn't get to work out at a combine or a pro day. And surprisingly, he still went in the second round, which is a great look for Urban Meyer's offense, recruiting, uh, all that stuff. That's a great look. Mar- <laughs> he He's the first offensive skill position that has been drafted in the first two rounds that, that was a Florida Gator since Tim Tebow in 2010. Yeah, Which I is a wild urban. stat to think. Yeah, said urban. <laughs> it's all good. Um, nah, we know what you meant. But when you really, when you really go back and look at the game film, it's so funny because Silk, I swear to God, I put up a video last summer, and what all the Miami fans was talking about? Oh, he's doing ballerina moves out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Ain't this the same? Ain't this the same receiver who was the first one taking off the ball out of all of all the big three schools? Like, profession. I tried to yeah. tell them that. The professional. You know, I, try, I tried to show y'all. This is what, right. these, what these guys doing to get themselves prepared. And it's crazy because them same moves he was doing at the workout, he did in the game, and, and he got picked second round. You know why else this is a good look for um for all three of those guys to go? All three We got three receivers, all that went to the combine got drafted. Um, In recruiting, the biggest thing they're having an issue with is, is the number one guy, and the guy, the ball being spread around so much, and how would it look in the draft? Well, the ball got spread around a lot, and three wide receivers got drafted. This is the first time we had three wide receivers drafted in a very long time. So mm-hmm. I, I, we just gotta let it cook, let it, let this thing continue to process and play out. But I was I was really happy to see all three of those kids get drafted. And then Van going in the second round was was amazing because I I personally had him like in the third round without a workout, mm-hmm. man, and he went in the second easy. And people nobody said it was a reach. Everybody was pretty much on the page of yeah, this kid is. You know, very good spot with the Rams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the Rams traded Brandon Cook, so it's really going to be him, uh, Cooper Cup, and Robert Wood. So I, I really like the uh, the chance that Van Jefferson has next season to uh, to work into that uh, team. Absolutely, another and person then, that that go ahead, Dan. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna I was just gonna move on to the next player. So go ahead, so oh, you got it. All right, so third, uh, next one, uh, third round, uh, number 79 overall. And this is a team that that's starting to look uh, like the New York Gators. The New York Jets got uh, Jabari Zuniga, uh, who uh, came back with really high uh, expectations, unfortunately, did uh, did have some injuries uh, that, that limited him. But, you know, ultimately super proud for, for Jabari. He was a, a three-star guy that came in and, um, you know, there was a lot of, you know, expectation of what he could be. And we started to see flashes of it last season or uh, two seasons ago. Uh, and then this past season. So to, uh, to land uh third round number 79 overall with the injuries that he had last season's a hell of a landing spot for him. Really good. And uh, like, like <laughs> I didn't have, I mean, everybody's a genius after the draft and when shit goes down, everybody's like, Oh, I knew that would happen. Uh, I had Grenard going higher just because of durability purposes. And you know what I'm saying? He was healthy more than Zoo was. Zoo fought the injury bug. And Grenard had better film. Um I think Zoo is a better athlete and a specimen in the trenches. Um just going back to the Georgia game when he pretty much dominated at that goal line stands. I think plays like that and series like that is really what what helped him with this draft, man, because he got some awesome film out there as well. But shout out to Zoo, man. Great at great ass spot and so for Grenard as well. Absolutely, yeah. And Grenard went 11 picks later to the Houston Texans, number 90 overall uh, in the uh, the third round. Uh, I like him uh, a lot. I think that he's going to have a great uh, opportunity to excel uh, there with the Houston Texans. And then going 30 picks later uh, was LaMichael Pirine, fourth round, number 120 overall, also to the New York Jets, uh, joining Jabari Zuniga. 
any thoughts on on that landing spot for him? Is that about where you had him going in the fourth round? Yeah, that's about where I had P. Ryan after his forty. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's an indication of how long. I think he's gonna have a very long career in the NFL. He's a, he's a pro style running back. He's balanced vision. Um, he he, he could pass block. He could catch out of the backfield. He's gonna have a long career. But I had him. I think the forty he ran. I had him about fourth round, fifth round. Yep. Okay, perfect. Uh, then sixth round, uh, 96 picks later, 94 picks later, sorry, uh, is uh, Freddie Swain to the Seattle Seahawks. Did you guys have Swain in the sixth round, or where did you guys have him? I kind of figured he would go around, around that. Um, okay. Fifth to sixth. Um, for the simple fact that, you know, he was, he was productive, you know, um, wasn't, wasn't the main guy, but ultimately changed the game when he got in the game. Right. Um, what I liked about him, too, and what a lot of people don't realize, um, Swain on punt return. No, he's not Brandon James, and he won't open up the game. But in the NFL, it's all about can you catch the ball and possibly get positive yardage? They don't like you to go back. Is it? Are you got? Do you got short hands to, to, to catch that ball? So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to see if they try to stick him on special teams and whatnot and, uh, you know, ultimately uh, try to make a living in the NFL. Yeah, I think Freddie helped himself out big time with the with his forty. Is like P Ryan didn't didn't do anything. And I think P Ryan film is, is great when you turn it on. Like the Auburn game, uh, yeah. he he got forty yards fast on that. I think they should have clocked him for that to get his forty. But I think Freddie uh, helped himself big time with his with his combine. Um, he ran well. He catches everything on film. And I think Seattle's a good spot for him. Like Ahmad spoke about the special team stuff. It, it ain't everybody gonna be a superstar in this league. It's about getting checks and making this fifty-three man roster. Um, Swain can play special teams, and I think he's gonna he's got a good shot at making the fifty-three man roster, man. And, and Seattle's a he's gonna be playing with a veteran quarterback. Mm-hmm. So playing the opportunity, that slots that slot position is is one that's wide open. So yeah, he'll, he'll have an opportunity to play and make that team. I think he makes it. I, I agree, and the, and the Seahawks needed some help at wide receiver, so I think that that he's going to be able to to really help them. And you know, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't bet against Freddie Swain figuring out a way to make that team. And then finally, uh, the number two hundred and fifty two uh, overall pick was was Tyree Cleveland, uh, snuck in there with the Denver Broncos, and um, I wasn't sure if he was going to get drafted. I was hopeful. I think he has a skill set to be very successful uh, in the NFL. I think he's got great size. I think he's got good speed. Uh, and and what we talked about on the last show is is he's a a guy that that will do special teams, that will block, that will do you know a lot of the dirty work uh, before his number gets called. So I uh, really like what he could do. Uh, special teams making the roster there uh, in Denver, and then potentially growing into a uh, a good wide receiver for him. Yeah, I think Tyree got the size to be an NFL wide receiver and the speed. I don't think he – I think um, I think with Felipe going down, a deep ball kind of shrunk a little bit, and that kind of took away the things he's good at it. Um, we've we seen early in his career when he took the top off at Tennessee uh, a couple times in his career. So I think that's his his upside is – his, his, his best attributes is taking the ball deep. I think – I think – I think Tyree's going to be good. Um, I think he's going to be a, a future starter, not just a special teams player. Um, not to put either the two against each other, but I think Tyree has a has a better shot at 
at being like a steady wide receiver or a starter than than um than Freddie. I just think he was underutilized a little bit. Uh, once once guys transferred in, you had two transfers that came in, right. Trayvon Grimes, and you had um, Van Jefferson. Van Jefferson. That kind of killed his momentum a little bit because he was a big man on campus until those guys came. That kind of like hindered his growth a little bit. But I think he's going to be fine as a pro. I think he's going to make rosters. I think he's going to have a nice NFL career. He'll end up being a starter. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. Uh, let's see what else happened on draft day. Uh, Quincy Wilson got traded uh, for a six-round draft pick from the Colts to the Jets. So he joins, uh, what, I think five other Gators uh, as a part of that team. Let's see what else. Uh, it's Dan Mullen's birthday today. So happy birthday to Dan Mullen. And then Undrafted free agents. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there in just one second. Oh, yeah, oh, okay. we'll, we'll get there in one second. Um, Shout out to Dan Mullen. Happy birthday to him. And then happy uh, birthday to a friend of the show, Shannon Snell. So happy birthday to both of you. Uh, and then so good, good point. So undrafted free agents. Uh, there was four as of 944 PM on Monday. Uh, we've got punter Tommy Townsend to the chiefs, uh, Josh Hammond uh, to the Jaguars, Adam Schuler to the uh, Arizona Cardinals, and then David Reese to the Carolina Panthers. Um, which guy do you think stands the best chance to make uh, to make their team? Uh, I'm going to go twofold. I'll go uh, Tommy Townsend and David Reese. Okay. I'm, I like – I'm go the ahead. same way. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm the same way. I, I just uh, don't want to piggyback out that, man. You know, um, punting, you know, I'm not saying it's easy, but, you know, that's that's kind of how they they go with punters. They don't drop too many punters, you know. Right. They usually yeah. get them up in free agency. So, um, and David Reese is a guy that a lot of people slept on. You know, that's 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 kind of still baffling to me. Um, but the only thing I can possibly say with David Reese is the game changing a little bit. Um, not saying he was a liability in our passing last year, but you know, it it was strange that we had to take him off the field in passing situations. You get what I'm saying? So we weren't the only one who's seeing that. I, I know NFL coaches saw that, but I still think that he can make a 53 man roster though. Sure. Yeah, I know the uh, the Chiefs signed another punter as well, uh, but uh, I like Tommy Townsend's uh, chance there. I, I like David Reese, like you said. I'm curious to see how Adam Schuler does. You know, Adam Schuler had a, a big season uh, at Florida a couple seasons ago, and then last season did uh, did okay. Uh, you know, but we'll see if, if he can grind it out uh, there in Arizona. And then Josh Hammond, you know, again, a, kind of an unsung guy, you know, maybe a special teams guy uh, as well, but um, – I think I think I'm going to go with David Reese. I think that David Reese is going to figure out a way to make it stick in Carolina, either on the other uh, 53 man roster, maybe on that practice squad. He's uh, just a couple, dog. He's just going to impress yeah. in practice, and especially in like I mean, you got to go to practice and do all these run schemes. You're playing inside drills, and he's going to dominate that type of stuff. Uh, he's just going to struggle in like the seven on seven when it's passing down. But I think he's going to make a roster just because in the run game. He's an animal. He's gonna get guys to the ground. You know what I'm saying? He's a in in the nineties, he's probably a, a third, fourth round pick in the nineties. It's just the game is so different now. It's sideline to sideline. He's not really a sideline to sideline guy, but I think he's gonna make sure. a team. Yeah. Easily. And then uh, two former Gators, Chris Williamson, uh, DB, uh, who transferred up to Minnesota, got drafted by the Giants. Uh, so shout out to him. And then a uh, former linebacker, uh, Kylan Johnson, uh, who was up at Pitt for his final season, um, is an undrafted free agent to the Dolphins. So um, congratulations to both of those guys uh, for making um, or for getting getting picked up. So. 
Let's see other big news. Uh, Florida had a couple of announcements on the, uh, the basketball side of things. Uh, Andrew Nembhardt uh, has declared for the 2020 NBA draft. I think the NBA allows you to explore without signing an agent with the, the chance to come back. I don't think anybody expects Andrew Nembhardt uh, to come back, but he did declare, as did freshman uh, Trey Mann. Uh, so Trey Mann is probably one of those guys that might test the waters to see what might be out there for him uh, and then potentially uh, come back. Uh, so that will be uh, something to to watch and how Florida potentially uh, replaces uh, replaces Andrew Nemhard in the uh, in the roster. They were also able to get a transfer from the University of of Michigan uh, center six eleven uh, Colin Char- uh, Castleton uh, transferred to Florida. He announced that uh, yesterday on that was on Sunday that he was going to be uh, transferring to Florida. He'll, he'll come in uh, and play that center spot that is being uh, that is being vacated uh, going into this final year. So he's a sophomore. Uh, if he's able to get uh, the opportunity to, to, to transfer without uh, sitting a year, he is probably the guy that is going to sit number one on that uh, that five spot for for Florida next season. Originally from Daytona Beach, uh, and so uh, it looks like he is going to have to sit outside next season. So uh, Colin Castleton next season, look out for him. I'm looking. Just wait, just wait and see. See anything else uh, that we want to talk about? Uh, my man Kamar Wilkinson, uh, IMG four-star defensive back, formerly committed to us, uh, decommitted in the past. Uh, before he committed today to Tennessee, before he committed today, his leaders was uh, Alabama and Ohio State. I think those two programs ran out of room. Uh, he wasn't a take for them, and he settled on Tennessee today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bro, no, uh, no funny shit. That's funny because – Dude, doing all, see, that's what happened. That's that's what happened. See, yeah, I just don't. Um, and I don't want to throw any any slight of shade at the kid, but yeah. I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't down when he decommitted. He, I think he's a talented kid that we can develop it to be, but I don't think he's a, a can't miss recruit that we could just like lose sleep over. Um, so I wasn't terribly down. I think he's a lot like Joel Williams last year when he de- decommitted for us from us out the blue. I thought Joel Williams should have kept his spot in his class if he knew better yep. and he got out of it and he kind of lost his spot and ended up at Kentucky. And this year, I think Kamar Wilkinson is going to be one of those guys that end up at Tennessee and get beat by us for four years. Um, <laughs> shout out to him and his commitment. You know what I'm saying? He can have his moment, but I think we'll do better. We'll get better defensive backs ranked higher and just I don't, I don't want to get into any any any, th- any catty, th- sassy yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I think when, when everything is um, up and running again. We we we'll see, we'll see some you know some improvements. So always I always say too before we get off this man. If you either, either a gator or gator bait, basically you, you should yeah. ask Urban. You know he, he, he said it. Either you gonna commit here and come or or you not. Man, I ain't got time to be chasing around with that dude, man. Like that. He ended up at Tennessee. And that's all we yeah. say. Shit, you know we without that. Definitely. Um, but also before we move forward off of this, man. Like we gotta just like let these kids decommit, commit, do their thing. Um, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the fans. I'm talking about staff too. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't even want to get into bashing nobody, but we gotta leave these, let these kids have their moment. Yeah. And we gotta operate like the big boys of the world and not be, you know what I'm saying, with the catty sassy stuff from from grown men. At the end of the day, he's a kid. He made his decision. Yep. And we it's his decision, right? That's his yeah. decision. That's the main. He's, yeah, his decision. Uh, 
I was going to say it's his decision. It's something that he has to live with, good or bad, right? right. And, and we're not saying that he's not going to go to Tennessee and not, you know, potentially be an All-American. And, and I hope he, for for his sake, he is, and he makes the NFL. I hope he's able to make generational wealth for him. Uh, but it's it's just weird to to put tweets out there sometimes, and or to say stuff. I mean, let the kid let the kid be a kid, and you know, just move on. There, you know, it's just not us. You know what tweet, I'm saying? Tweet, like, tweet it, put or you know. Post it, put it in your drafts, and then keep it moving, right? You don't need to cl- cl- click the tweet button. But right. Uh, let's see a couple other big uh, other big things in, in Gator Sports. This is a lot for for no sports actually happened. So they announced that we talked about it last <laughs> week or the week before uh, that Tim Tebow, Brandon Spikes, and Brandon James were uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. They announced the other names today. Uh, some big names joining them. So obviously, like we said, Tim Tebow, Brandon Spikes, Brandon James, Billy Donovan uh, is joining that group as well. Right. Uh, Andrew DeClerc. Sean Fraser, Fraser, sorry, Gemma Spaforth, uh, who I had class with uh, when I was there at UF, just an, a really, really awesome person, did a ton uh, on that campus, especially with uh, with Crisis, uh, working with the Crisis Center there. So very, very proud of her. Uh, Miriam Kekishivi, I definitely said her name wrong. So shout out to Miriam. And then Hamid uh, give, me one more, give me one more try, Dan. <laughs> Mariam Kevkishvili. No, no. Listen, D- hey Dan, I swear to you. So, I, yeah. so when I seen all the names, I uh, I sent a text to my boy Moses Jenkins, who was my roommate yeah. here. Um, we remember her, bro. I swear to God, she didn't. Everybody had a scooter and everything riding around campus and whatnot. She rode a beach cruiser up yeah. all those hills, up and down the campus, like all. That's that's how was her transportation. Who, so, Gemma or Mariam? In Gangster, Gangster. Yes, that's what I'm telling you. But she was foreign, though. She foreign. So Who I, was that, no. Gemma? Mi- Miriam. Miriam. Oh, Miriam. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think she did, like, shot put or something like that. So she was okay. really... You know what she reminded me of? No funny shit? The trench bolt. Oh, man. <laughs> A little bit. But, A little bit. She, but she was so oh, athletic, though, bro. She was really, yeah. really athletic. And in the, in the drive of a bicycle up and down a beach cruiser at that. Yeah. <laughs> big, big shout out to her. Big shout out to her. And then finally... Uh, the softball team had a couple of big announcements. So Kendall Lindemann, Katie Cronister, Jamie Hoover, and Jade Carraway are all returning to Florida for their fifth year. Sophia Reynoso and Jordan Roberts have opted not to return uh, to Florida. So four big gets uh, to return back to Florida for the softball team next year and Tim Mullen's team. So uh, shout out to those ladies as well. Uh, guys, I sent it to you in the DMs. Did you guys see the Pouncey's new boat? I've been seeing that boat. You talking about the orange and blue boat? I didn't open yeah. it, but yeah, oh, it's, it's a uh, nice, this is a nice boat. Yeah, he posted another, I guess, another video of it this week. Um, yeah. It's a hell of a boat. I need to figure out my way to get on that next. Uh, next. Oh, that's time. not the boat you was on this weekend. No, unfortunately not. Wasn't invited no. on that one. But similar, similar type, but but not orange and blue. It's orange and blue. Oh, it was same same style, but not the same color. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Word up. All right, boys. Big show. You guys ready to get into it? Yeah, let's hang out a little bit. Let's hang out. Our first guest is brought to you by Brown Insurance and Financial Services. Anything you need insured from the panhandle to the keys, hit my man Greg up, 954-589-2204. Greg specializes in home, auto, and also life insurance. Anything you need insured, hit my man Greg up, 954 954- 589-2204, the official insurer of the Big Three Roll-Up in Stadium Miguel. Let's hang out with West Chandler, fellas.
You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. And joining us for the first time on Stadium and Gale is one of the Gator greats, a four-time Pro Bowler, uh, college uh, football Hall of Fame electee, uh, and and probably one of the greatest wide receivers to uh, to suit up for the University of Florida, Wes Chandler. Wes, how are you doing this evening? I'm wonderful, thank you. Absolutely, well, Wes, we're. It's it's a pleasure to uh, to have you on, Wes. We we ask this question of everybody that we've had that that's been on the show. Uh, how did you ultimately end up becoming a, a Gator, and what was your recruitment process like? <laughs> I think I was almost guided to the University of Florida. Uh, my high school football coach at the time, when I was at Mr. Myrtle Beach High School, uh, had been at the collegiate level, uh, the professional level, and um, at the time. Uh, my concern was not wanting to go too far away, being from a small town, uh, because I wanted my family, especially my mom, to be able to have the opportunity to come and see her son uh, grow and develop into uh, a young man. Perfect. And so talk to us a little bit about enrolling at, uh, at Florida. I mean, you you were there when Florida certainly wasn't the, the national powerhouse uh, that it's probably considered now. Uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, your time there and coming onto campus and, and what was your adjustment like uh, when you first enrolled? Well, certainly um, when I look back at it today, it's totally different back then because one of the things about Florida football, Florida was, was always considered the best football state in the country. And because of that, as a young kid, you woke up every Saturday morning looking at uh, the results of the Friday night games and some of the guys you played against, some of the teams you knew about, and seeing what they were doing. Also, today, uh, it's a little bit different because players are able to post through huddle, et cetera, what they're doing because of social media, where they're thinking about going, all of that. Back then, we had the newspaper. Uh, and primarily that was a gauge to see where these guys who had talent eventually was going to take their careers uh, further into what university and, and primarily what state. And for a lot of us, uh, basically, it was to eventually try and play uh, together. And then once you, if you were fortunate enough to make a uh, the All-Star game, that's when you really met the cream of the crop. And for me, that all-star game happened to be played uh, at the time at Florida Field, the North versus the South. And so many guys that uh, I had read about, seen, played against, They a lot of those guys were committed to go to the University of Florida. And, and so that was an additional uh, edge for me to say that I could go to Florida with the Terry LeCounts of the world, the Willie Wilders of the world, from Haines City, who I played against, the Avon Parishes from Palm Beach Gardens. Uh, these were, were, consider, were considered great players. And uh, at the time, it was ideal for Florida to recruit these kids to get some skilled athletes um, in their program to uplift that program. Uh, while they had some guys, I was also heavily, heavily uh, impressed by Nat Moore, who was my uh, – when I took my my visit to Florida, Nat was was the guy that that took me around, showed me uh, the campus, the whole nine yards, and eventually we had a chance to get away from everyone and ha- have a serious conversation about the University of Florida and what it could do for me, not just uh, athletically but uh, academically as well. And um, I decided at that point it was it was best for me 
to forego all the other offers uh, mm-hmm. that I had on the table and, and to be able to have a chance to play uh, with a collective group of guys, some that I knew, some that I, like I said, had read about. And uh, it was great. But the transition from high school to to the collegiate level is, is, is a major step for any young man. And as I said, you don't have the exposure that you have because I didn't get the opportunity to go to five different campuses to see the lay of the land. And there was no uh, drive tape for me to look at as to why I should go to this school as they did, you know, when the 80s, 90s turned, and especially here today. But at least I got a chance to meet some of the players who were already there. Um, uh, was very impressed with the campus, especially the size. That transition just in itself was going to be major. And to, to go away from playing before a couple uh, a couple hundred people or a thousand people to several, uh, several thousand people was going to be a major transition as well. So uh, that in itself said that I needed to surround myself with people I was comfortable with or were, were comfortable with at the time. And and to be able to go into this together as a class uh, with hopefully some guidance of some some older guys. Nat was graduating and, and getting ready for the NFL draft, and yet he was able to introduce me to some guys who were already there, some of the Gaffneys that were already there, uh, Sammy Green, some of those guys, James Richards. Uh, I had a chance to meet uh, Lee McGriff, who eventually I played behind uh, as a freshman. Uh, Mike Williams from Orlando, Gerald Loper. Uh, so I was impressed uh, by the group of, uh, and the talent that Florida had. More importantly, um, I had a, a great, great, great uh, connection with Nat Moore, and it was a final decision for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. So talk to us a little bit about your time at Florida. Obviously, you're uh, you're still widely considered one of the best, uh, if not the best, wide receiver in Gators history. Uh, you, you have records all, all over the place. Talk to us a, a little bit about what, why you thought you were so successful in college or, um, you know, I, what made – go ahead. I, I think that Don Bro, who was at the time receiver's coach, uh, when he bought, took the visits to New Smyrna Beach and – make my family feel extremely comfortable. Uh, that was very impressive. Uh, and then uh, getting a chance to meet Coach Dickey for the first time, uh, coming to my home, and it was the fact that it wasn't a, it wasn't Bethune-Cookman that was right there in Daytona Beach that said I was too small mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I was 140 pounds, and this is a true story. Uh, at the time, I could not play for Wesley Moore in Bethune-Cookman College, yet they took the quarterback that was my high school quarterback uh, and Reggie Beverly, uh, we were in Wishbone at, at New Smyrna. We had won 21 straight games. We averaged a point and a half a minute. Uh, we were class 3A, and, and we were doing some things unbelievable. Uh, yet I was too small to play at 140 pounds for a Bethune-Cookman College, but I was on the board, uh, the recruiting board for the University of Florida. I never understood that, and I still don't to this day. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, you know, I was really hurt, to be quite yeah. honest because it was only 10 miles away, if that, um, for, for, for me to attend uh, Bethune-Cookman because I grew up watching the Wildcats and Randy Sweetback Walker. I was a high school halfback. I played defensive back. I was an all-state defensive back. I ended up being an all-state halfback as well, running back, but I caught a lot of balls out of the backfield. 
And when Florida recruited me, they recruited me as a wide receiver. Would and you have, would you have went to uh, would you have went to Bethune, Bethune if if they offered early? <laughs> I probably would have for the simple fact that it was right there in my number one thing. Was, I wanted my family to see me. You know that was important for my mom. I come from a single home, and I wanted my mom to see me for all the things that she did to to provide for us to get, and especially for me to get through high school. Uh, to make sure I had food on the table. I, that was the number one goal for me was to never leave her sight. I was still mama's boy, even though I was going to going off uh, to further my education and grow and transform into a young man. What was your favorite? So, oh, go ahead. It, it, it's, it's kind of funny because when I got to Florida and now being a wide receiver, I, you know, I played uh, in the project. I grew up in the project and, we had our turkey bowls and all of those things. And I was one of the young guys always picked, but because I was one of the youngest, they always make me rush the passer. I don't get that, but you know, they gave me something to do. And the big thing was I was playing with the big boys. They were four or five years older and they just gave me the, the task of, well, you don't get any rewards for this. You just go and tag, you know, two hand touch, you go and tag the, tag the quarterback and you know that was getting a little bit old for me but it gave me experience and so when I did play with my peers I felt that hmm, I may have an edge here um, and it never dawned on me so I continued to play with them they would always allow me and I think because my, my grandfather worked for uh, uh, Republic Services at the time and I guess I was one of the kids that only have a ball too in the projects of football. <laughs> so I guess they picked me. I was always last, but then I moved away from being the last guy picked. I moved up to where I eventually got to be the first guy picked sometimes. Uh, and it was great. Uh, then my transition of going, going from running back uh, to wide receiver was a little bit different. I thought I had some skill set, but I was a small kid. And so it was going to take me a little time to make the adjustment. And when I did the experience of, of playing three years at wide receiver at the University of Florida and then in my senior year after being a first-team All-American as a junior wide receiver, all of a sudden, Coach Dickey called me in his office one day and he said, Wes, and I'm saying the moment he said, Wes, it didn't sound good. <laughs> so I'm like, what is he about to tell me now? Well, I had played in the Sun Bowl, and of course, we played Texas A&M, and I had stuck a ball out in front of Pat Thomas and Lester Hayes. I was on my way to score a touchdown, and I guess because they were taking advantage of us with the talent they had and beating us pretty good, uh, I sort of wanted to get back at them a little bit. And Coach Hatfield told me, he said, Wes, that's not what we – uh, seeing all Americans, um, you should have a better, uh, mm -hmm. sense of character. And, uh, I was really upset. And at that time I was thinking about transferring to Bethune Cookman college. <laughs> <laughs> you want <it> now? <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. That was, <laughs> that was part of the immaturity that I had. Uh, and I realized that I hadn't quite, quite grown into the man I, I, I really wanted to become and be respected of. And uh, my grandfather said, if you come home, I'm going to take you back. 
And so my grandfather. And we can use your grandfather in some of these homes, man. I'm telling you. I'm I'm trying to tell you he was very disruptive in my life. And uh, a lot of um, uh, African-American young men grow up without that, that father present. And my grandfather happened to be the one that was being disruptive in my life. And so if you come home, I'm taking you back. You started this journey. You chose the University of Florida. We didn't choose it for you. And we're gonna, I'm going to make sure you see it through. And so I'm grateful and thankful. And the day that Coach Dickey said, he said, Wes, you know, we had, um, I had Jimmy Fisher as a junior, uh, my junior year, but he was a senior. And going into my senior year, I had Chris Collinsworth. Uh, Billy Kynes was a Rhodes Scholar, so he was gone. And I had Terry LeCount from Jacksonville Range, and they were eventually going to be wide receivers in the National Football League. How about that? So he said, I can't, I can't get the ball to you, so I'm going to hand it to you. So midway through the season, I became a, a running back at the University of Florida. Wow. And that transition going back to running back, I, I guess it, 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 it was really great because I played with Tony Green, Earl Carr, Willie Wilder. So we had a great backfield. It was just hard for me to cut down a guy like Arch Steele when you're running the, the circle option because it, it was just something I wasn't used to and I was a little bit rusty. But I was excited just to be able to touch the ball to try and help Florida win, not in a selfish way, but in a winning way, a winning attitude way. Um, and um, we had never beaten Georgia, and that was also one of the things I wanted to do uh, in my four-year career there. You wasn't going to go to the NFL draft as a junior. It was no such thing or at the end of your sophomore year. So I said, okay, I'll do this. And I made that sacrifice. I never thought about the draft. I never thought about it having an impact. But when I look back, it had a major impact because it showed versatility. And I think what being a high school running back and, and then finishing up my career at Florida being a halfback, I think what it allowed me to do is show that I had no fear of being a receiver, that I could take a lick, and I I was not scared. So the focus was on the ball, ball security, uh, to the tuck, take the hit, get up and go back to the hall and wait on the next play. So that's the attitude that that came with going back uh, to the backfield again, finishing my career at Florida. And I'm grateful to this day uh, for Coach Dickey making that decision uh, to try and put it in my hands as opposed to – and it reminds me somewhat of the Percy Harvin story when you look at it. Uh, it's, it's so similar because he, too, you know, any way you can get the ball in the hands of your playmakers, you try and do that for for team goals. Now, while we're talking about Percy Harvin, what's some of um, the players since you've been done? I think, like, in the overall grand scheme, because you played before I, I was born. Um you was in the NFL by the time. No, no, that's fine. Because I th- we, on this show, Dan is more of the historian. Uh, we we always talk about uh, putting together our, our all-time great teams and doing other things. And Dan always going to get the older guys. And I give younger Gator fans a lot of flack for not knowing their history. When I myself, um, I know of you, but I'm not, I wasn't as familiar as I was till I hit these Googles. And I think yeah. in the overall grand scheme of things, you're you're underrated as a Gator Gator great. What's your opinion on that? 
Well, I, well, I played in a wishbone offense even as a wide receiver. I only caught uh, a couple balls. My, my, my. I think I caught one ball as a freshman. I caught 20 balls as a sophomore. I only caught 44 balls as a as a junior. But you got to remember, we were running the wishbone, and the guys we had, they were they were real sprinters. Florida had speed. We had Tony Green. We had Earl Carr at 6'2", 230, could run a 4, 440. We had Willie Wilder, who ran a 5, 860. Okay, and um, so for me, we had Derek Gaffney on the other side, one of the Gaffney brothers. We had Terry LeCount under center, or Collinsworth, and they, too, were state uh, uh, champions in the 400 and, and 100 meters. So for me, just to be on the field, I knew my touches were not going to be great, so I had to make the best of them. Uh, every time the ball was in the air, it meant opportunity. And if I could make something happen to give us a chance to get four more downs, that meant the more opportunities I got. But I was I was okay with not catching uh, 60, 70 like I see today because uh, when I started playing pro and I'll come back to Florida, I had three kids, my own son, Lamar, uh, my nephew, Perry, who's the same age as my son, Lamar. They were two years behind my other nephew, Dallas who ended, ended, ended up going to Florida, Dallas Baker. Um, right. And I taught them how to be, all three, how to be receivers. Because when I did my training, they all did what I did. And I'm here to tell you that they had probably had better talent, more talent than I had at the time. I, I, I taught them the skill of how to play the position. And so I marvel and I look back at Jabbar Gaffney as my godson. I played with his his, his dad, Derek. Um, and so when I look at all these guys that have, you know, reached certain accolades, you know, I'm ecstatic for them. Um, not because not because they they they've caught a ton of balls. They just, it's the fact that they made the most of those opportunities given. I played in the wishbone. We were not going to be like Steve Spurrier or anyone else. Uh, or, or even when, when, when Tebow played and uh, Coach Meyer was there, my nephew Dallas played for Coach Meyer. I, I, I'm grateful for the opportunities that the touchdown maker got. He made the most of it. And uh, I look back at all of these guys that have played after me at Florida playing receiver or the combination like, like Percy. They've done some, some fantastic things with the opportunities given to them. And I look back at it and I say, hey, I played in a wishbone offense, and I, I like to think that that my my first goal was was team. My my second goal was to make to make the best of the opportunities and to give the fans at Florida feel you know a thrill every time I had the opportunity. So uh, I don't I don't I don't dislike. I, I, you know sometimes you always human nature says you wonder if you if I had played in a Spurrier offense you know, what my numbers would look like. But then again, by the same token, maybe the value of what I was and the versatility never would have been shown for my future. Correct. Um, you went third overall to the to the Saints running a, wish, a wishbone offense. Did the NFL scouts look at you as a running back or a wide receiver? Like, what were their plans on when they it drafted was, you? It was, it was straight wide receiver, and, and, and there's a story behind that. And to this day, I, I talk with Art still. At the time I was coming out in the 78 draft, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had the first pick. 
And it was, okay, he's just going right down down 75 to Tampa. There was strong interest in, in John McKay um, to, to bring me to Tampa. The second pick was Kansas City. And being from Florida, <laughs> well, you can imagine what it's like, and you've seen what it's like to play in Kansas City in the winter. Right. And I, had, I was a naturalist with, with hands and not gloves. And so, you know, we went to Tampa. We, we, and we were in the hunt to be that first overall pick. Went to Kansas City. I got off the airplane, and my agent looked at me, and my, one of my uh, idols was uh, uh, Otis Taylor. He picked us up from the airport, and it was like, well, you know, it's kind of cold here, and it was in the winter at the time, and I, I kind of didn't like that. New Orleans had the third pick, and uh, they they said, if you're there by the third pick, we're going to take you. And unlike today's draft, there was nowhere to go, and Norm Carson, I love him to death. This man uh, was was a hero in my eyes for all my four years there at Florida. And uh, Tampa eventually traded the pick to Houston because they needed a running back, and they traded it away. And Houston drafted Earl Campbell, number one. Uh, I guess I had shown uh, Kansas City that I had no real interest in coming there for what it was worth. They took Arch Steele out of Kentucky. Buffalo and Green Bay had – picks four and five and my attorney was like, you know, Hey, well, we come this far, we can go to Canada. And I said, you're right. So there was New Orleans who had already said, if you're there at three, we're going to take you. It's the Superdome. The first year I played at Florida, we played in the sugar bowl. It was in New Orleans. I loved the city. I was still in the South. It was a, it was a place where my mom could still, and my family and friends could still come to see me uh, play and grow develop. And so New Orleans did draft me. So I, I think the stars really lined up and I thank God for, for the blessing of seeing me all the way through. Wes, I'm about to hype you up a little bit, man. I got, I got to hype you up. I don't think you, uh, I think you got a, a little bit too much humility in, in your spirit. <laughs> now you was a third pick overall, uh, all American in, in, in college. You got to break outside of, of, of the swamp. And also a Hall of Famer in the NFL, in 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 the grand scheme of all of this, I think you you got to be when you look at pro careers and Gator careers, who's better? Well, I, here, here's where, and I and I appreciate that, and I thank you, and and I love Emmett to death, and you know I had a chance to coach the Cowboys when Emmett was there in in 2000 for a while, and. You know, I love Emmett Smith, and and we we've done some things together. He's played in my participated in my my celebrity golf tournament, and uh, have tremendous respect. We have a a great common bond of being being Gators. Um, but to your point, I think that when people ask me, say, "Well, you've done all these things. You're you're in, you you've accomplished so much. You you you've gotten these accolades." From the SEC Legends to College Football Hall of Fame, you're in University of Florida Hall of Fame, the State of Florida, San Diego Chargers Hall of Fame. You've done all this. You know what is it that you can point your hand on? I said my greatest accomplishment wasn't being the third third overall pick, and I say this to, to my nephew Dallas all the time. He's doing a great job at Marshall as their receivers coach. It was being a two-time academic All-American. 
told me more about me. Because God's gifts, God was good to me. And I don't, I don't take that very lightly. I, I know what it was like to go down to Ocala every Friday night and come back up 75 before a home game. And I asked God, I prayed to God to give me an opportunity to make the Florida fans happy one more time. That was my, my ritual. And so I know what he touched me with and blessed me with is something greater than I could ever do by myself. And so I only take the credit to get up and go to class and have the ability to, to gain an education because once you get it, no one can ever take it away from you. And there is no amount of, there is no end to the amount of education one can gain. So for me, I'm so humbled for the simple fact that God took care of the athletics. I took care of the academics and I'm grateful. If I never get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I can say this, that the people that I played with, played against, through all my years, collegiately, professionally, they know the player I was. And I see numbers, and they ask me all the time, well, your numbers are greater than Lynn Swans and Stallworth and some of these guys that are already there. When I retired, I was 12th all-time in receptions and 13th all-time in yards. Well, 12th in yards, 13th all-time in receptions when I retired after. And I, I legit saw your stats and, and assumed you was in the Hall of Fame, but you're not. I'm in the Chargers Hall of Fame, and, and that's fine. Gotcha. Because if I don't get there, it, it, it's not going to kill me. But the things I've been able to accomplish in my life athletically has opened up some tremendous doors for me personally uh, in society. Um, and I've, I've always been one to, to reach back with the other hand while moving forward in life and just grateful that people recognize what I did with God's talent. Hey, Wes, it's Ahmad Black. So, I'm, you know, we're, we're digging everything you're saying right now. It's so cool that you 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 took a moment before every game to 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 talk and speak with God and, and to ask him for his blessing and, you know, to, to, to guide you throughout, you know, the game and, and, and to make the Gator fans cheer one more time because, I, I, you know, I kind of somewhat did that as well. Um, but it's just super cool to talk to you because, you know, me playing at the University of Florida, you were one of the guys who, who named we heard a lot. And, you know, um, you know kind of like what Silk did, I had to – to do some research at one point to try to figure out who exactly you were. And, you know, I, I, I was awed at it, you know, so uh, we, we, uh, we, you know, I, we can't say enough of how much we thank you for, for just paving a way for us younger Florida Gators to, to do what we do. You know, you may not get the credit that, you know, you deserve because you deserve a whole lot, you know, and, and it's easy to get up here and every week and, you know, talk about my stance and rumble and, and, and do what I do. Um, but you know, it's guys like you who, who, who opened it up and, and, and made the way for the Florida Gator and, and, and actually set the Gator standard. You get what I'm saying? So I just well, want to say thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you because when I got to Florida and Nat Moore was leaving as a senior, Florida's integration was just about four years in, five years in at the time. And so, um, that's some additional history. 1969, I want to say. Uh, 68, 69, Lenny Lucas may have been the first to attend uh, the University of Florida. And it's ironic because the very same man who coached him at Father Lopez High School 
uh, was my high school coach, became my high school coach at New Smyrna Beach, became my best friend and my attorney. Uh, so I, maybe that's why he guided me to Florida because he saw, uh, he went through it and, you know, with trying to do segregation integration, uh, and get, uh, an opportunity for young African-American players. And for me, just being there representing the university of Florida from a small town, I can't, I can't tell you Florida helped me develop into the person I am today. And I sincerely mean that. And so when I see guys, yeah, I'm like Papa Gator, I'm an old guy, you know, but I'm humbled in the fact that the University of Florida has opened some doors to allow a lot of young men to not just be there as athletes, but to get an education and to, to grow and develop into the people they want to become. Right. And I, I don't, you know, a lot of, we get a lot of listeners and a lot of people on here and I don't think a lot of people understand, um, you know, fully what you say when you say, you know, the University of Florida opened a lot of doors. Not sure if you guys know, but I went to and played with UF 07 to 10 and I did not finish my college degree. Um, and, and that was one thing that ate at me a lot. My, my dad was always on me a lot. Um, and you know, he, he always wanted me to come back and get it. And the university of Florida allowed me to come back and, and finish my degree. So, um, you know, again, you know, the university does, does, does a lot for us. It, it, 100%. And, uh, even today, you know, I, when I had a chance to go back to the 150 year anniversary of the college football hall of fame, uh, there in Atlanta, uh, some of the history of how major college changed um it changed because of an influctuation of players not going to hbcs but to division one schools um and and so i say it's more than just athletics because once you get there sure athletics and your talent is it's superb it, it, it gets you recognized and it provides an open door opportunity for you but once you get there how about you personally, as an individual, as a person? What is it outside of God's, God's gift and his will to keep you safe, healthy, and to perform that you're looking for? And that's why the educational process, the opportunity to go through that process, because if you grew up in an era where, like your father and what he's tried to instill in you, is because that's all you had. That's the only opportunity you have to have something that once you gain it, it's yours. It's locked up somewhere that no one can ever take that away from you. That's why he said that. I'm willing to bet you. That's awesome. Well, Wes, I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure um, hearing from you and, and learning from you. Uh, I don't think any of us knew um, just, I mean, I, I knew, you know, like Silk said, a bit of a historian, but, you know, really until you start digging back, just, you know, the impact you had at the University of Florida, and obviously the impact you had in the NFL. And, and we didn't even get the chance to talk about it, but your, uh, your impact in your, your coaching career too. So we'd love to have you on in the future, get to know you a little bit more. Uh, but it's been an absolute pleasure uh, chatting with you. Wes, is there anywhere uh, that, that people can follow you on uh, social media or, um, you know, your, your charity? I have a company right now that's called uh, WCTE, uh, and it's for the uh, aid and prevention of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is 
you know, the movie Concussion, if you saw it, all of those guys I knew, uh, Junior Seau, close friend of mine. I had played two golf, uh, golf with him two weeks before he passed away. Wes Hopkins, I knew. Dave Durson, I played in Pro Bowls with. And so I formed a company for the aid and prevention of TBI, traumatic brain injury. And the most common TBI is concussion. And through the, um, the uh, repetitive head trauma, uh, over time, if not treated, you end up with the ailments, which are epidemics in our society like Alzheimer's, CTE, Parkinson's, ALS, and dementia. And so that's where I am. I'm dedicated every morning to getting up and making a difference in, in the lives of people. And that also uh, addresses the military and PTSD. So my web, our website is www.wctee.inc.org. Awesome, Wes. Well, we really appreciate it. Next time we have you on, we'd, we'd love to learn a little bit more about what you uh, what you all are doing there. But thank you so much for your time, Wes. Go Gators, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I appreciate well, that you energy, Wes. Thank you, Wes. Yeah, thank you now. It was a pleasure. Thank yes. you, guys. Bye-bye. Wow. Russ Chandler. Wow. That's Wes is a goat. That's a legendary. Hey, absolutely that, a goat, man. That's, that's really legendary. Um, man, my man went third overall as a wishbone running back at wide receiver. Just a playmaker, bro. Person Harley <laughs> before Percy. Bro, he no. averaged 21.6 yards per catch, and he caught a touchdown every 4.18 times he touched the ball. So – uh, pretty incredible. Uh, if you don't know much about Wes, I mean, he had an illustrious NFL career too. Uh, four-time Pro Bowler, two-time uh, All-Pro. Uh, I mean, just an incredible guy. College Football Hall of Fame, Chargers Hall of Fame, uh, State of Florida Hall of Fame, UF Hall of Fame, Florida Georgia Hall of Fame. Uh, he's got them all checked off. And and I think the last thing that we need to do is maybe start a uh, a, a West to the Hall um, hashtag. We got we got Freddie Swain to UF. Um, so now we need to get uh, West Chandler to the hall. Yeah, yeah. That's a hashtag I can get behind. Him and we got to get one for Freddie Fred, T. Fred, both Fred of those T. guys. Yeah. We got to get both yeah. of those guys a Hall of Fame you campaign know, going. I feel, I feel like when we get them in, we, then we all made it. You know what I'm saying? We, yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. That's right. We'll, we'll be sitting at both of their tables. I got yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll make some gold jackets. Come yeah, on. Stadium yeah. <laughs> Miguel gold jacket. I love it. I love it. Well, boys, you ready? Yeah, let's get this thing going. Yeah, I'm ready to be legendary, man. Um, Before we be legendary, this Urban Meyer interview is sponsored by Gibson Diving Detail. Gibson Diving Detail is a firefighter-owned and operated company specializing in marine detail and dive services. For any boat or yacht detailing, underwater haul cleaning, zinc replacement, or dive recovery, call Sean Gibson at 352 514 1486. Gibson D- Diving Detail is offering 15% off any services for all first responders and healthcare providers, as well as anyone who mentions Stadium Miguel podcast. Call Gibson Details at 352-514-1486. The Urban Legend. Let's hang out, fellas. Let's get it. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. Joining us for the first time on Stadium and Gale is a very special guest. 
Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, a three-time national championship winning coach, including two here at the University of Florida. A couple uh, SEC titles and three uh, SEC East Division titles. Uh, finished his career 187-32 and 32 record. Uh, one of the things that I think is, is something that he's probably most proud of is helped 22 assistant coaches during his career end up in head coaching opportunities, uh, working for uh, working under him. I uh, led the first un- underclassman to a Heisman Trophy and then helped 26 All-Americans, including one on this show. So we're proud to welcome Coach and I guess now Professor Urban Meyer to the show. Coach, how are you? I'm good, and it's uh, great to be with you. And Ahmad, great to hear your voice, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, Coach. I appreciate it. Coach, we're going to take you. We're going to take you way back, about 15 years, and you had the opportunity uh, when you were at Utah uh, to look at a number of different programs that wanted your services, including your your former employer in Notre Dame. Uh, ultimately, at the time, what made you decide uh, to end up in in Gainesville, Florida? Boy, it's a it's a time warp when you think about how long ago that was. But that was a very very tough situation. Jeremy Foley came in and did probably. I look back now, the best job I've ever seen an athletic director do as far as, you know, I've never, I, I was in Gainesville one time. I, I drove through and I visited the swamp. I remember Colin showing this was coach Spurrier was there and, but I really didn't grow up in Florida and, and, but I watched Spurrier and then, and then I had a couple opportunities and, and um, Jeremy Fuller came in and, and by the time we sat down for 10 minutes, I already know where my kids are going to go to school. He already had Shelly on the phone with Christine Donovan. He had me on the phone with Billy Donovan. I'm very faithful in my church, so and we're Catholic, and I knew where we were going to go to church. And within 15 minutes, because in my life, it's family. That's, I just want to make sure my kids are good. I want to make sure everything's right. And uh, I had a couple of their ADs come in. I'm not going to give you names, but it just was not like that at all. You know, it was all about football and all. I, I knew that we could get things going and, recruiting once once we got things working but it was all about i wanted shelly happy i wanted my kids happy because the way i worked you know they're going to be by themselves a lot so that was what told us jeremy foley did an incredible job of just getting our family you know making all of us feel like we were going to be good to go i love it so ultimately you moved to gainesville uh what was the culture like when you arrived well ron zook's a great coach and he took over he's a friend of mine and we took over for him and that's another reason why I knew he's a great recruiter and um, the culture was good. You know, it was, we just wanted about things a little bit different, you know, and, and, but no, that we had very good players. It took us a while to adapt to the spread offense, but uh, the culture was not, a, you know, I, I tell people Bowling Green was one of those <clears throat> programs that was one in 10 <laughs> and we had to take a fire hose to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Utah, we took a garden hose to it because it, yeah. it was all right. It was in good shape. And then Florida, you know, just kind of, you know, tweaked the little things here and there. And, and uh, But we had good players. Uh, it was a different way of going about business. And it took us a minute. Yeah. Uh, but once we got going, we got going. So obviously your coaching style and, and, and the way that you led the program was going to be a little bit different than, than Ron Zook. Did you, did, were you received pretty well by the players that were on campus w- when you arrived or, or how did those first couple days go and getting yourself acclimated to the football team? Yeah, it was tough. Uh, there was, you know, they loved, you know, there's, they, they loved Ron Zook, which they should, you know, he was a player's coach. They loved him and, and he recruited very well. Uh, but I remember we had a guy named Brandon Siler. Uh, and, and he was kind of the guy, he was my horse. You know, you always have to find that guy. And I, every program I've been on, I found out who was kind of the, the horse of the program. And Brandon Siler was my guy. 
he wanted to win. They wanted to win. Uh, I didn't want to say all of them did. Uh, we had some lifestyle issues and some social issues that we had to deal with, but Brandon Saller was the guy that helped me, you know, get that thing going. And Chris Leak was really good too. And, and Dallas Baker, when he kind of finally turned it, you know, once you start getting people like those names I just mentioned on your side, and I don't want to say on your side because that sounds like you're trying to negotiate. Right, College right. football, you don't negotiate. You know, you, you, you coach them. And that's what we did. Hey, Coach, this is Amon. I got a, a quick question right quick, and then Dan to get you back. Um, talk about, uh, I, you know, I, I talked to the, to the guys that were there before me uh, the, the couple years that, that, you know, you were there before I got there. They talk about you taking their uniform and making them wash their own workout clothes and stuff. So, so they have to earn being putting on that, that shield, that gator head. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I get to Florida and, you know, my impression of my vision of Florida was the Steve Spurrier, Florida. And I get down there and, and it was, you know, there were some things that, you know, I just, I feel like respect is not given it's earned. You know, I think that's a, one of the great things we've done over our career is, you know, right. educate players and say, you know, the real world, you know, you, you, well, Ma, you're in the real world right now. If you go out and right. expect to be respected, that's not the real world. You have to earn everything you get. And so I wanted to make sure when you throw on a Gator t-shirt, you go on, a, you go in that Gator locker room, you go in the, I've done that at Ohio state too. Like I wait a minute now, you know, there's a certain way we expect you to be and ex- a grind and, ex- you know, greatness is really right. hard. So I go back and, you know, I, I do that again in a second. I say, wait a minute, you know, there's no such thing. The second place trophy and that kind of mentality. No, that's not, I never believed in that. I believe in greatness is very hard. It's, it's uh, fully committed. And if not, then you're not in. And once you're in, you're in. I love it. So coach with that mentality, obviously building out a staff and a, and a group of guys that you're going to surround yourself with, uh, you want to find folks that have similar mentalities. What do you look for when you're building a staff? And then, you know, ultimately you had some holdovers like Charlie strong from Ron Zook's staff. You know, what did you look for in, in them when you decided who to, to keep on or, or when you were going to bring on new staff? I look back on a career and it was probably the greatest thing I've ever done to surround myself with greatness. And that's first of all, staff and then, then athletes. And you look back in the history of college football. And I've had some of the greatest coaches that are out. I have, you know, Dan Muller is one of them. And Charlie obviously said it was another one too. So the common thing I always look for was I want a competitive band. I want a guy on my staff that when he loses a recruit, you know, it's like he lost a game. And so there's one common characteristic between a great player and a great athlete, and that's competitive spirit. It's not, it's not height, weight, speed, black, white, orange, green, yellow, or where you're from or not. If that kid's an animal competitor and that coach is a competitive guy, you got a chance. So that was, I would always challenge our coaches and I wanted to see a model tell you this, you know, I would, I would walk in staff rooms or in the position meetings and I would, challenge that coach right in front of his player and right. i would want to see the way the players respond and you know chuck heater you had chuck your yep. your players they'd kill for him you know sure. that was the kind of and if not if not i knew we had a problem but i would walk in that meeting room around the practice field and then create an environment where you know i want to see how close really are you if i you know if i come after you will you bow up on me and those are the best coaches Coach, um, you 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 speaking about the, the good and the great recruits. What's the difference between a good and a great recruiter? 
Oh, the, you know, I believe this 25 years ago, and it's even more so now. You, you know, a lot of times back in the day when I was a kid, you, you did things because you were told to do them. So, for example, your parents told you to do something, you did it. You shut your face, you shut your mouth, you did it. You, when you're a, a coach, you, you, you did it because your coach told you. That, 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 that's gone. That, that environment is gone. Now it's about why. And I always remember this, that the number one why is relationship. And if I'm a student athlete, I know deep down, Ahmad Black knew that Urban Meyer and Chuck Heater and Mickey Marotti would, would do anything for that guy. At the end of the day, when him or his family needed some help or we needed, you know, I, I had your back and, and that's when you get great relationships. And so when you start talking about the great recruiters, they're the ones that are just so close with the family. You know, I look at the penalties I look at a mod. I look at even a guy like Chris Rainey, who I, I, I don't know if I've loved a guy more than that. Cause he came from my heart. The world doesn't know what Chris Rainey came from. I do. Right. And so right. did, uh, you know, coach Drayton and so did a mod and, but the world doesn't need to know. That's you know, that's really none of their business. But as a recruiter and as a coach, you better know exactly what you're dealing with. Yeah, we we, we talk about that and and, and talk about um, you know uh, all the time. We talk about this Gator standard, and you know we just had Wes Chandler on the show, and he talked he, he talked about the standard, and he didn't use the word Gator standard, but you know that's what he was talking about. He set the bar for for guys like me to be able to to put on that Gator uniform. All right. And, you know, we, we talk about the foxhole mentality and you talk about the, the type of guys that you want in your locker room and, and, and coaching with you. Um, that's that's the type of, of mentality. I think that, uh, you know, you brought to the University of Florida um, and, and made us different from, from the, the rest of the country. It's, it, we care for the guy next to us so much that we didn't want him to, 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 to see us fail. And, and I think that's what made us so great is that, you know, on offense, you know, they didn't want the defense to feel like they failed and vice versa. You know, so we 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 technically kind of went out and tried to impress our offense as they tried to impress the defense. And, and it, ultimately, that made us better. Now, Mon, I'm not sure you were there in 06, but 06, was, to me, was a transformational year as me as a coach and for Florida. So we lose to Auburn at Auburn. And Brandon Saller is a man's man now. Chris Leak was really struggling, but I love Chris Leak and – and he's just, he, he, I remember he slid or something on third and one and came up short. And, and so we get in, we lost that game and we go in the locker room in Jordan Hare stadium. And, uh, uh, it is, they're almost ready to fight each other. And I'm with Charlie strong and we're distraught. You know, we had a good team. We lost that darn game. We were ahead, I believe at one point and they're ready to fight each other. And Charlie says, you better break this up. And I said, no, Charlie, I want to hear it. And I even told the team, I said, you know, I, I want to hear this. You got problems, you know, don't don't suppress them. I want to hear if you if Brandon Siler, you got a problem with the offense, tell me. Because then I think the players need to know that. And I mean, it was it was cathartic, cathartic what happened, catharsis. You know, where you it's a release. I wanted to hear exactly what that team had, what what were the issues offense. It was one of the great moments in our program history. Mm-hmm. Finally, because you know what happened when everybody said their piece, it was over. Yeah, I saw people go hug each other. It's okay. This, I almost cussed there. The stuff's out in the open. Go ahead, coach. It's, uh, it's okay. No, we're good. And uh, and and it was one of those moments we got into playing. And I thought to myself, because you know I'm a psych major, and I'm thinking, it's all it's done. There's nothing behind door number two now. Now we're either going to win or lose. But everybody knows everyone's feelings, and it was a great moment. 
Coaches, is that when you knew that the 2016 could win a national championship? Oh, no, no, no. We didn't even, we were, we were a street fight, man. It was, uh, you know, we, we, uh, in 06, you know, we were still, I, you know, 08 was one of those teams where you just were loaded top to bottom, inside out with great talent. But 06, some things would have to go well, and we were still a long ways away. You know, I, we didn't even think national title because we were, we, like I said, we were in survival mentality. At what point did you think that that you could? I mean, that that was, that was my freshman year uh, at UF, and so I remember, you know, the Auburn game. I definitely remember the uh, the cock block, uh, the uh, South Carolina game, and then it's it, it really started to seem like you know Percy Harvin and the Tim Tebow you know stuff was starting to work. Percy Harvin was really starting to take off. Did you think that that you were going to make it to the national championship, or at what point did did that start to become a reality to you? It really didn't. It didn't happen until when we beat Arkansas. And if you remember the way the Arkansas game went, we're up uh, 17-7, and we give up two quick scores right at the beginning of the third quarter. Oh, yeah. And we ran that fake punt on our own 10-yard line. Uh, as I got older, I would have never done that. I was a young coach. <laughs> I didn't know better. It was fourth and 10 from fourth and ten Ahmad from our own 10-yard line. Oh, run a fake punt. Oh, and uh, uh, Cap, Cornelius, uh, Jamal Cornelius gets that darn first down. But we uh, – that sounds you know, a lot we, like Erdman in the Miami game. I mean, uh, Mullen in the Miami game we just had. That sounds like Mullen in the Miami game we just had. Oh, his first game of the season, the first drive we run. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. <laughs> I was there. I was watching it. <laughs> so, yes, when did I know that, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, people make fun of me, even uh, they laugh today. Is I didn't relax until about two minutes left in the Ohio State game when we played Ohio State for the national title. When I thought we can't, you know, even I can't screw this up. We're going to win the national championship. So I, I really never believed it until it happened. I love it. I love it. And you mentioned it earlier, that 2008 season, you know, kind of loaded top to bottom. Uh, and then we've all heard the story of, of Tim Tebow and the speech that he gave right after, uh, you know, that game. But, but talk to us a little bit about the, the coaching side of it and, um, you know, what caused such a drastic change in the team and then, and then what changed in, in what you guys were doing on the, uh, the coaching side. Well, 2007 was a rugged year. We, we lost four games. We had a young de- defense, weren't very good. And uh, we were very young. Timmy won the Heisman that year. Tebow won the Heisman. We had a good offense, but defense struggled, and we lost some games. And, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, I even, might even said that to the media. I can't remember. I said, go ahead and take your shots now because when these guys grow up, when the Spikes and Cunninghams and, the, and Major Wrights and these cats grow up and Ahmad Blacks, watch out. You know, we had Joe Hayden and Janoris Jenkins in the corner. We had uh, really, really good players, but they were young. And uh, 08, if you remember, we lost to Ole Miss. We came back and, you know, just what played awful against Arkansas for the first half at Arkansas. Yeah. And then the second half, Rainey and Demps and our defense started like growing up. Like instead of little boys, became kind of men. And I remember we were hard on them, really hard on those guys. And then, uh, uh, we get ready to play LSU and LSU is really, really good. And we beat them. We beat them inside out at home in a swamp in a swamp. That's one of the greatest mm-hmm. stadiums that night. And we had a bye week afterwards. And I remember I, I shut down the whole football facility and said, everybody get out of here for a day and take a deep breath. And cause we're getting ready for the stretch run. And after that Arkansas game, that was one of the best teams in college football history that you look back now and it was, you're beating LSU by three or four scores. You're beating uh, 
I think 56 to three, we beat Kentucky or South Carolina. And, you know, that team after that, that was uh, gold. I mean, you could tell we had great players and great chemistry. Hey, coach, I don't, I don't know if you remember. I'm taking a trip down to memory lane a little bit. After we lost that Ole Miss game, we, we start practicing on Sundays and we freaking, you know, the, the look in your face when you got back in the locker room, I don't think you yelled because there wasn't much to yell about. We played awful. Um, I think we had like 22 missed tackles on defense. We turned the ball over a few times. Um, but like you say, we, we, it was like a, a, a switch flip. And I, one guy who I, who I, I remember uh, came up to you guys and said he, his value to the team was, was very low. He wanted to be more valuable to the team. Was David Nelson? David Nelson, I, yeah. And, and David Nelson came up uh, up there and he turned it on. And and, and you know David, uh, you know, became a, a hell of a player for us. And, and it was just like a, a switch, you know, after that uh, that that Ole Miss loss in that Arkansas game, man. It, we we really turned it on. Yeah, the one thing I learned over my life is that when you're in a tough situation, get around those you love. And I loved our players. I loved our staff. And, I mean, it was hard, man. I mean, it was, you know, Gainesville, you're not supposed to lose, especially once we started, you know, setting expectations the way we did in 06. And then so we, I changed the whole schedule. We came in Sunday, and I wanted to get it get it out of the way and get that taste out of your mouth and get to work. And let's – you're right. And that was a big change. But I remember I walked in Sunday morning. I couldn't sleep, and so I come in real early. And I opened my key, and uh, the security people at David Nelson, he's sitting in a chair right outside my office with tears in his eyes. And I said, what's your, you know, because I was really upset with David. He wasn't, you remember David did nothing to help our team. Yeah. And I said, you know, you know, I got, you know, I was very angry. I said, what do you, what do you, what do you need? What's your, what's your problem? And he said, coach, I, I, I need to help our team. I've been thinking about what you said, what Tim said, what our other leaders have said, and I got to do something. And I said, all right. Good thing is you can always change. You know, those who say you can't change, that's wrong. You can change right now. And if you remember, he started on kickoff return and recovered a couple onside kicks yep. are unbelievable. Yep. And then he, when Percy got hurt, he scored a touchdown against Alabama, and then he scored the game winner against Oklahoma. Man, um, brings back a lot of memories. I mean, those were my those were my glory days, uh, Coach. Uh, so after that season, I mean, a, a lot's been talked about that season. A lot's been written about, written about it. But but that next season in 2009, coming off a national championship, you guys were number one uh, ranked team for all 13 weeks, all 14 weeks of the re- the regular season. Um, but it never really seemed like everything was firing on all cylinders, according to fans. Um, a lot of them were were kind of vocal about that. Um, how much did that bother you or, or how much did, do you think that that might've weighed on, on the players and staff? Well, I take responsibility for that. Is that I remember standing at the podium at the SEC meetings and a reporter looked at me and said, coach, how does it feel to be a coach of a team that anything other than a perfect record and a national title and you're anything other than that, you're a failure. And Tim Tebow and I were so close, you know, we spent so much time together and university of Florida has never gone a to B with, uh, A to Z, excuse me, undefeated. And so we said, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going undefeated. We're going to, he came back for his last year. And I remember one time I came up, we had this thing called Victory Meal. And Victory Meal is awesome. Remember that, Ahmad? Oh, my God, it's the best. And and Victory Meal is the greatest. But I would sometimes miss it because I would be worried I'm not watching enough special teams video. Or I was a worker, I mean, like a maniac worker. And, uh, one time after the Georgia win, I walk in there. I said, where's everybody at? And I look at Coach Mick, and he said, well, a lot of them just get food to go, and they leave. And I was like, I got so upset. And I go, why? And he goes, one of the reasons you. 
you know, you're not here all the time. Like, you know, cause that, hmm. that's my, that's my job to make sure these players enjoy it. Right. And we won it in 14 and, and the next year I tried to make sure that you can't let the pressures and obviously I'm, there's strength and weaknesses of coaches and everybody. And one of my weaknesses, it's hard for me to enjoy things mm-hmm. because it's always the next play, the next first down, the next championship, the next, you know, and I wanted those players to, you know, and, and university of Florida, you tell me that great program deserves to have a start to finish undefeated team. And I thought we should have done that. So. Mm-hmm. Coach, when, uh, and I'm skipping way ahead here in my uh, my planned timeline, but but you brought up a point. At what point in your career did you realize that? I mean, because that, that takes a lot of, you know, internal discussion that that it has been difficult for you to enjoy things or to, you know, to, to enjoy the moment that you have it. I've tried. And, and, you know, I just say that I really conquered that. I can't say that. Yeah. You know, I'm enjoying my life now because I'm not in it. You know, and do you I think that's a, I'm, do you th- I'm, enjoy, I'm in, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I'm enjoying my life talking to Mon Black. I'm enjoying my <laughs> life when Percy Harvin sends me a text and Brandon Spike sends me a text and the Buckeyes. And, you know, cause that the, the one thing that people have never played the game of football and never coached, it is freaking hard, man. That is a hard, hard man, man's game. I mean, that is a tough guy's game. Anybody that's not tough, you'll get exposed. And, uh, and I just, I was always one of the coaches that believed in the toughest teams win, the hardest working teams win. And Amado will tell you, we very rarely ever took much time off or mm-hmm. because I just, I was worried someone else would gain advantage on us. Let me tell you guys a, a funny story. So it was my freshman year. It was our fr- freshman camp. And I, I mean, coach will tell you, my, I think my freshman year was, was extremely hard and, and, and you know, um, they demanded so much out of us, you know, and me coming from high school, being an 18 year old kid, you know, uh, I was a big man on campus in high school, going to a college to, to a team that just won a national championship. It was really hard for me. Um, you know, and we, I remember just one day, man, it was extremely hot. And, you know, you know, coach always raved about, you know, our two a day practices and, and how hot it is out there. And I'm finally getting to understand and see in the middle of, of two a days, how hot it really is. And, uh, you know, we, we get ready to go to practice and whatnot. And, you know, instead of going to practice, coach took us to the water park. All right. So the whole team goes. So we go to this water park. And, Did you have uh, wild know, waters? I can't remember where it was <laughs> at this point. So we go to a water park and I mean, we, we're having a blast. You know, you can't tell us anything. You know, we, we, we just, you know, skip practice for the day. We at the water park. We get done and whatnot. And we go back and, you know, we're expected to have meetings because it's, you know, it's two a day. It's camp. Instead of having meetings. Coach tells us to put our equipment on, and we went to practice. So we went to a water park and then had to go to practice. I'm not sure if you remember that, Coach. You remember that? Oh, I'm not sure. Is that true? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> you always got to call a out. You never know. I thought we had. I thought we had a day off, and it, you know, it turns out to you know, no, no day off. You know, we uh, we 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 had a water park blessing for a minute, but we definitely had to go back to practice. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coach, besides your, your, um, you know, the, the I don't want to say pressure necessarily, but the, your desire to win and, and, you know, the, the desire to, to give out your, your full, you know, effort, you know, full relentless effort. Uh, one of the other big things that you focus a lot on as a head coach is, is on rivalries. When did you start really focusing on rivalries or, 
who did you learn that from? Because that that's not something that a lot of coaches do. A lot of coaches say, you know, different, you know, nameless, faceless opponent. But but you really focus on uh, rivalries. Talk to us a little bit about that for you. Well, I grew up in Ohio, and it was the Ohio State team up north, and it was Bo Schembechler versus Woody Hayes, the ten-year war. And I remember I was just mesmerized by that rivalry. And every place I went, you know, it started at Bowling Green, and we played. Toledo and I call them the team up north once say their names and very respectful yet every all our focus on beating that team and then Utah went to BYU and as a team down south and and then you get to Florida Florida is intriguing you got Tennessee Florida State and Georgia and all three rivals and then you get to Ohio State obviously so I just always I love college football I think the pageantry and the rivalry is just the way it was in in my DNA and I'll tell you what, my, my guys of Florida, the players and coaches, boy, did they buy into that. I can't remember. the. I, I think we lost to Georgia and Florida State. That was it. And yeah. we beat everyone else. And uh, No, and we, we never lost to Florida State. Remember, with you, yeah, we did. My you remember the yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And if you remember the locker room, and, and I think one of the things that you do is you educate, because you're getting players. You know, in Florida, is a little different because you get mostly Florida guys. But I would always, test, I don't know if you remember this, Ahmad, I would test guys on the rivalry and I would, right. you know, and I would never let a player, if a player ever came out and publicly and said disparaging things about their opponent, you know, and I would, that player wouldn't talk to the media again for a long time. So I don't believe in that. I don't believe in disrespect. I believe in hatred. I believe in, you want to go after someone as hard as you can, but never, ever disrespect them and give them bulletin board material. So I, I look back and, you know, the, 33-year career, whatever, and I'm very proud of the fact that we have taken rivals very serious. We've won most of them, and our players, you know, I, I even talked to some of the older guys now, and they just had great appreciation for that. They can look back in their career and say, hey, wait a minute, we we're 5-1 against Georgia, 6-0 and against Tennessee, and 5-1 and against Florida State. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of, speaking of Georgia, just you and Mark Richt went tit for, tit for tat uh, in back-to-back years uh, at the world's uh, largest outdoor cocktail party then. Um, have you guys ever reminisced about that at all? Have you guys ever talked about talked about that? No, no, no. I uh, <laughs> uh, Coach Rick is a great coach, and I, I don't know. I don't uh, – we haven't really talked much about that, but we uh, we beat him in 08, and I don't know, Vod, if you remember. I remember every snap. I can't remember oh my, my middle name. But I can tell you every snap. <laughs> Absolutely. I can tell you that one of the greatest moments in my coaching of Florida and really my career, I walked down the stairs to go on our team meal. And we're getting ready to go, go on those buses right afterwards. And um, the players stand up and we're cheering, pounding the tables. They, they don't want to eat. They just want to go get a piece of Georgia. Because the year before is that year when they did that dance or whatever they did yep, and all that. Yep. Yep. That was the most in, in whatever career or whatever games I've coached. That's arguably the most prepared football team I've ever, ever seen. That team was ready to go. I don't care who came out of the other tunnel. We were going to win that game. Hey, Coach, I, you know, I started uh, to, to step in front of you, Dan. It's two games out of my career at U- University of Florida that I felt like no matter who you put in front of us, the freaking New England Patriots, we are going to win that game. It was it was that game, and it was a 2008 SEC championship when they told us we weren't tough enough to stop Bama's run. Oh yeah, remember, remember Mick, Coach Mick and Adazio? Oh my God, 
Oh it's like in the video, I'm, the highlight video for that one. Oh, oh, geez. Uh, what is it? Volt, Volt in the in the gang and, and Volt and those <laughs> yeah. guys. Yeah, and then the Dodgers you broke the chair and all that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Talk about, uh, Coach. You know what a week is like preparing for a huge game. I know at, at you know at Ohio State at Florida, every week is a big game because we make it a big game, and that was one of the things that we we talked about all the time, but. What goes in a week of preparation for a big game um, that you have to get ready for? Yeah, my mentor, Lou Holtz, would always say that uh, I always remember the team. And when you're getting ready, and he was so good in the big games, and we were really good in big games because the most important thing is the most – and if you remember, I would always put signs around, you know, the fan, the average fan and the average media person has no concept that it's not the pregame speech. It's, it's all about preparation. You know, pregame speeches are good against teams you're supposed to beat. But when you're playing a team of that's when you start talking about equated talent, it's all about it's all about preparation. And I'm convinced, you know, after 30 some years of it, the most prepared team will always win. So it's about focus. It's about calm everybody down and prepare it. And you made and I would always tell the team, this is a big game. But remember why it's a big game. It's a big game because you when I look at our players, you made it a big game. How did you make it a big game? You try to break it down so they're. The, you know, the mentality of your team starts, they really engage with you. And you say, okay, we made a big game because you're good at what you do. If you were not good at what you do, this would not be a big game. Don't tell me the cocktail party is a good game when you're both are six and five. That's not, it's not a good game. It's a good game when you're 10 and one or whatever, eight and oh, or whatever, going to that game because, and then you keep breaking it down. Okay. Why is it a good game? Why, why? Because you, you made a big game. Why? Because you're good. All right. How did you get good? fundamentally you're the best team in America and you're the best practice team in America. So I want to clear your head. All that matters is a Tuesday practice. That's it. Bloody Tuesday, prep Wednesday and perfect Thursday. That's all that matters. So, yeah. So, you know, talk about this practice, um, you know, talk a little bit about um, the 08 team, the 09 team a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, I can't stress enough and I talk about it all the time, but you always told us that, the game should be be easier than practice, all right. And we and we were mentally prepared to 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 play that week because practice really 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 hard. So explain what what you mean about the games are supposed to be easier than practice. Well, ironically, y'all during this uh, Chicago Bulls uh, documentary going on, Mike, that came from. If you remember, we had a quote, and I had a two places at the locker room and in the coaches' offices where I wanted that quote, and I wanted. Mike, it was Michael Jordan that said it. The reason I practice so hard is because I want the games to be easy. And so if you remember, I wanted our players to always think the game was payday. Right. You know, a lot of you guys can go on the NFL. A lot of you guys, you know, Tuesday's not payday. Yeah. Tuesday you're 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 putting money in the bank. Yep. You know, yep. Wednesday, you know, money in the bank, man. Don't don't talk. you should you should feel awful on Tuesday. And that's why I call it a bloody Tuesday. Yep. Wednesday, maybe your legs start coming back a little bit, but don't. But by Saturday, I want you walking on air. And I've seen a lot of coaches fail with that where well, I'm going to pull off. I'm going to pull off. And I was like, don't. We're not going to pull off. I want uh -huh. the players to feel really awful on Tuesday. And so as they, you know, when they wake up Saturday morning, I want them all of a sudden looking at me like you guys used to and say, man, I feel great. Right. Remember those days where I, I'd give you a big hug and I say, how are you feeling? I like, coach, I'm walking on air, man. My legs yeah, are. It's great. I feel ready to go. Coach, there was a lot of big personalities on, on the teams you recruited at UF. How did you manage all the egos? 
Oh, that was not easy. You know, uh, great players, you know, and, and Joe Madden and I talked after they won that Joe Madden's the manager of the Cubs. Now, as I believe was the angels, he's a very good friend of mine. And we're talking about how hard it is to repeat, you know, statistically it's some very small number of teams that actually repeat in a major league baseball in a world series or the college football or NFL. And that's because everybody changes. And the 08 team was great to coach, but the 09 team was very, very hard. You know, people change, coaches change, I change, and you start believing that you're, you know, you're really good when, you know what, it's blue collar, man. It's it's just the next day, your survival to the next day. And so managing personalities, I think the players knew I loved them. He knew I cared about them uh, and our coaches cared about them, but it was not, that 08 team was a handful. You know, you had a bunch of great players that were being told they're great players. So they were the preseason number one team in America. And you always look back, would you do some things different? Sure. Um, but we had a bunch of personalities on the team. Who had the biggest ego of, of, of that time span you were I there? Think when he, yeah, I think, you know, he had Spikes on defense and Tebow. And Ahmad remembers that. I mean, I love Brandon. Brandon Spikes is one of my dudes, and so was Tebow. Tebow's like a son to me, and I'm still extremely close to both of them. And, and their leadership in 08 was legendary. Their leadership in 09 was okay. You know, it was, uh, it was not great. And uh, I'm not blaming. It was, you know, I didn't, I don't mean that to throw, but I think Brandon spikes on defense. It became a little bit offense defense. It became just because, because perfection is impossible. And anytime the defense didn't shut someone out or they didn't, you know, everybody got angry. I remember walking to press conferences and we beat Tennessee, I believe by two touchdowns. Yeah, yep. I don't know if Vermont remember that. And everybody was like looking at me like, what, what's the problem? You guys are supposed to win by four. And like, you're talking about Tennessee. Yep. And so the defense, the Brandon would get very upset with the defense or if the offense put him in bad field position, same with Tim. And so it was my, I would, I take full responsibility, but we all wanted to be perfect and we weren't. Coach, on the opposite end of that, um, when we're talking uh, about leadership and you mentioned, you know, Spikes and Tebow, who were who were big leaders on that team. What are you looking for uh, in a leader? Uh, how much do you try to pull out of them versus how much is inherent uh, in leadership qualities? And and how do you look for that on the recruiting trail as well? Well, yeah, those are easy. Those are intangibles. There's some intangibles hard to find. Leadership's you know, really, when I look back now, and that's something I've always, you would move to the top of the heap or, you know, I would take you if you were one of the things that made, you know, Ahmad Black was not, you know, he'll tell you he was highly recruited. He was not. He was short, slow. and he, No, I'm just kidding. We, we tell him every week, coach. <laughs> but he had, a, he had the ability that people followed him. And he was a great leader when he got to Florida, once he got going. And, and I used to love to go to, I'd go to football games or I, I back in the day, I'd go to when you're allowed, I go sit those high school basketball games and, or, you know, I watched Tim play baseball and I just want to see their, you know, in the, in the, in the huddle at halftime or, and I'm not sure when there's a timeout, is he, first of all, can he lead himself? Is he a guy that has his face in his hands and always looking at the ground or is he got his arm around a teammate picking someone up? So I think that's one of the, when you look at some of the NFL teams that have done so well and Patriots, obviously a great admiration for them or our teams over the years, the one thing is we always had now, we had guys that could help other guys out. You know, Ahmad, Ahmad's legendary as a tackler and a good player, but you know what Ahmad was really good at? He helped others. 
he knew when that guy would start to drop his head. And, and the one thing about game of football, man, you get exposed. And so you better go grab your teammate. And, and that was, uh, you know, I love him on. And why is he? Cause he, he would, you know, he would grab, I could name a dozen players that after practice or during a game, I'd see him go over and pick someone up. Man. Definitely. Lana, I never knew that about you. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so going into the, uh, you know, at, you know, after 2009, um, we, well, during the 2009, um, we lost, we lost to Bama, you know, uh, I mean, you know, I, I just don't think we played very well. I, I mean, we were prepared. Uh, you know, it was just one of those days where we went out there and, you know, um, uh, uh, the other team outperformed us, you know, um, talk about the events following up that 2009 and, um, what led you to, you know, kind of want to step away at that time, you know, with your health and, and, and everything going on. Yeah. A good friend of mine, Randy Walker was a head coach in Northwestern. He died of a heart attack and I was having chest pains for about two years. And, and I just, I really didn't enjoy all nine the way I wanted to. And, and I just, I was losing weight. If you remember, I don't know if you remember modern, I lost almost yeah, 40 pounds did. and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't, I was chasing perfection and I would sleep in the office and I was, you know, just consumed with this damn thing about, you know, how can we get the four to be perfect? And we know how hard that is. And then, and then my daughters were getting ready to go play college volleyball. One who already was, and I missed so much and I was doing all this speaking and everything else. And I thought, you know, here I am. I didn't want to become that. To me, uh, my dad was at every game I ever played. And I was missing all my kids' events. And I was thinking, why am I doing this? You know, am I doing it for the money? I've never been driven by money. Am I doing it because I love it? I used to love it. I'm not really loving it right now. And then I'm having these, you know, my chest is burning like, I mean, it, you know, I had those esophageal spasms, which I didn't know what it was. I was tested like, I don't know, a dozen times. And I just they couldn't find out exactly what was causing those chest pains. And that, that, after that game, and I remember I just started thinking, you know what? I've done what I'm going to do and, and move on. And, and then I got talked into, and I kind of, you know, I made a decision to come back, but I was, I was at, uh, my gas tank was at empty and I, I just never was able to get it back. Do you, do you wish you would have maybe taken some more time, you know, looking back on it? Oh, you know, I'm not going to go back. I, yeah. I, you know, the one thing you're, when you're, when you're asked to become a head football coach and I, I consult a lot with a lot of young coaches and you're asked to get everything you got. And at the university of Florida, there's not, you know, Jeremy Foley's still a very dear friend. Dr. Matchin is, you know, I can promise you that one time is someone going to say, Hey, you know what, coach, I wish you would have gave a little bit more to Florida, you know, just a little more effort or a little more time. And cause we, we absolutely spent everything we had you know, getting that program to the number one program in America. So I, I of course, you're going to look back and say, sure, I wish I would have maybe took care of myself a little bit better. And, and I wish, but I'm, you know, I'm just one of those guys that con- being consumed was, you know, it's a virtue, but it's a vice, Any, a virtue and excess becomes a vice. So think about that. So if you're overly courageous in mm-hmm. excess, you became reckless, mm-hmm. you know, a work ethic. Well, I'm a hard worker. Well, that's a virtue. In excess becomes a vice. That means you're, you're out of control. You all you do is work. And Ahmad knows. I mean, I would sleep right. in the office. I would, yeah. you know, I would watch those special team. Remember those special teams mid- meetings we would have. Yep. I mean, it'd be we'd schedule 20 minutes, and an hour and a half later, they'd ring the bell, and I was like, oh man, we were in here for an hour and a half. 
Yeah. It is what it is. I I look back now to answer your question. We gave Florida one of the greatest runs in Florida football history. Very much. And and I'm very proud of that. I love those guys. I love Ahmad's and Dallas Bakers and Brandon Sellers and Brandon Spikes and Sellers. Always will. Would you have paced yourself differently in hindsight? Yeah, I mean, I did. When I went to Ohio State, I was I tried, and I was really much different. Amado would have been shocked. I really, yeah. on purpose, I moved I moved Wait, 20 I, minutes I, from campus. Don't tell me you got soft. Did, did you get soft? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I, I like I use that word soft. <laughs> but I tried to, you know, I tried to because my the most important person is my wife Shelly and we'll be married 31 years this year and my kids Congrats, and they, they lost their dad for a little bit for about a year and a half I was not the same and it was all about winning the next game so I think it was a lot different yeah but I always knew Ahmad and you know me is that I you know this is going to be there's a shelf life you know I'm not one yeah. of those guys who can coach on 70 because it would not right. end well right. definitely coach I know you uh you you went over to to Ohio State, you know. Eventually, after um, you you left the University of Florida, um, but when it was time to step down, um, you know, for for those few years in 2010, um, you know, talk about what made, what went into your decision to to step away at that time um, from the from the game a little bit. Yeah, I really thought it was done. You know, I just I thought that. Uh... I needed, uh, you know, I was going to do television or go enjoy my life. I saw the wear and tear was on my family. Uh, I remember when we didn't sell the tickets, we remember the, uh, what was it? Oh, eight, oh, nine, oh, nine. We go 13 and one and everybody was devastated, you know, and we go playing at such a prestigious bowl, the sugar bowl. And I thought, you know what? And right. I remember everybody was disappointed going to sugar bowl and finishing 13 and one. And, uh, you know, just, and not really the media, but you just the inner feeling that you failed. Right, right. And I thought 13 to one in the SEC conference, you won 21 straight games or whatever it was. 20, I think it was 22 straight games. Yeah, something like that. And you think you, you think you're a failure. And I thought, you know what, it's time to go do something else. And and then I stepped down. You know, then I stepped down and came back. And then after what was it, a 10, 10. You know, and then I stepped down for good. Right. But a month later, I, I knew, I said, you know, I remember Wano, Shelly and I were talking. I said, I, I got to do this one more time. And she goes, you're out of your mind. And uh, so it's a it's a different, uh, you know, it's a unique story. Uh, Urban, I want to talk to you a little bit more about your time at Ohio State here in a second. But I want to kind of close the chapter on, on Florida. And, you know, I think one of the things that's been talked about a lot over the last probably decade or so, especially, you know, given the Aaron Hernandez situation and kind of the light that was, was shed on, on Florida again over the last few years. Um, I guess there's been a lot of, I guess, pontificating about the locker room and a lot about the arrests. What do you think's been misconstrued the most about that situation or the locker room at Florida during your time? That's a great question. That's one that's going to be probably discussed. And I, I, I've read some things and, and having one player in trouble is one more than you should. And I remember I, I was a zero tolerance guy. You know, I was kind of raised a very strict, not kind of extremely strict. And I started my career, I would kick teams, kick guys off the team, not right and left. And you did something, you know, if you ever smoked uh, marijuana, you're out. 
if you did this, you're out. And I always had core values and the number, number one core value, I'll go through them real quick, is honesty, treat one with respect, no drugs, no stealing, no weapons. And everything else, I'd work with you. You know, if you got, you know, you did something stupid, like we had a bunch of, you look at those arrests, it was a bunch of stupid stuff. And it was like, it was a, a perfect storm where most of them were dropped, a lot of minor things, but we had some serious ones that we handled. But then something happened in uh, 2005. I had a player named Avery Atkins that I kicked off the team. He pushed his girlfriend, and that's a core value, zero tolerance. And he went to Bethune-Cookman. And Avery Atkins was a bona fide first-round draft pick, a guy that I loved to death. Our family, my daughters loved him. And he went away to Bethune-Cookman, got in trouble, got consumed by drugs, and we tried to help him. He ended up committing suicide. And that, you know, here's a first, he had the whole world in front of him. And I always felt like that was our fault. You, you left this kid from out underneath the shield of Florida and look what happened. And so I kind of went on a mission to never eliminate a player, help him at all costs, get him second, third chances, get him counseling. And we did that. And we had a lot of great success stories, but we also had some guys that didn't. So I, I you know, when you start saying that, oh, eight team was full of, you know, you start talking about Aaron Hernandez, Aaron Hernandez, you know, when he was with us, you know, he was a different guy and had some, you know, yeah. I, I really believe he had some marijuana issues, but he had one positive drug test. And I put him in counseling at least three or four times. But we, you know, went to the end. You know, when I hear someone say to win a game, for those people that say we did that to win a game, they have no concept what they're talking about. Zero. Yeah. When they talk about that because we're trying to help people, they come from really difficult situations. A guy that lost his father. You know, a guy that, you know, Chris Rainey's that we've tried to put him so they have a life and we really were successful in a lot of ways. Those, are, you know, there's a lot of people that you can go talk to and find out what it was all about. So I kind of take, I don't want to say take offense because I'm not, you know, that's not my business. But the inner workings of that was, it was all done for the right reason. Right. Uh, coach, what is, and we, we talked about it briefly. What's the biggest thing that you learned during your year off from, from Florida before heading to Ohio state? Well, I did. I talked to Bobby Stoops, um, uh, uh, Mac Brown, you know, Chip Kelly, Joe Paterno. Um, I went everywhere. I went to army. I went to, you know, I just traveled the world or, you know, I went to Stanford, went to Boise state. I just, I really had a hard time. How can I make this work life balance where, you know, you're, you have a family, you have children that count on their father. I was not one of those people that I was going to lose my wife and my family over my career. I, I see that happen. I'm like, that was not going to happen. So I, I really wanted to see, can you really do both? And, you know, Bob Stoops became a good friend. And I really studied him and and uh, it really helped. It really, you know, it really gave me a little bit of peace that, you know what, there, you can do this. Now you have to have parameters, you know, like the public speaking. And like, for example, when I went to Ohio State, when, once that season ended now, I was not going to be on a plane going to speak everywhere. And, and we, we made that agreement with the administration at Ohio State that I, my family time was going to be exactly that. So talk, so talk about um... – you know, when you when you went to Ohio State a little bit, um, uh, oh yeah, you went to Ohio State a little bit, um, and, and what was what was the biggest difference, you know, playing in that conference um, than than coaching out in the SEC? Well, I first went to Ohio State. It was the conference wasn't very good. 
you know, the Big Ten Conference was uh, way behind in recruiting, way behind in game day atmosphere. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm from the Big Ten, so my respect was immense for the Big Ten Conference. But, you know, the Big Ten Conference had a history of going to the big, you know, going to the uh, bowl games and losing. And so we we just made a decision to go national, you know, obviously take care of Ohio in your footprint. But, you know, for us, my goal was to go beat Alabama. Alabama was the, we actually wrote a book on it called The Chase. And Alabama was dominating the landscape. And I went to the Alabama-Notre Dame game. And we, we finished actually undefeated in 2012. And I thought we were pretty good. And I went down to that game and watched them just put it on uh, Notre Dame. And I remember sending out an email to every player, every coach, every support staff, every trainer, every weight coach. And so the chase is on. You know, we don't, I, you know, basically what I was telling our whole entire program, we went 12-0, and 0, but we're not even close. We are on the chase. Not that they're better coached. They're better players. They're more physical. Uh, fundamentally, they were better. And we went on a mission to say, okay, we're going to turn the Big Ten, or the, not the Big Ten, but the Ohio State University into the upper level of the SEC. Irvin, you and um, in the BCS playoff era, you and Nick Saban are 1A, 1B. What do you rank yourself? You think you're better than Nick? No, I think he, he's better. He's uh, one more game. Good question. <laughs> but I, I have great respect for uh, Coach Saban, and we I think we played each other four times, and I don't think I know. I can tell you, like I said, I can't remember my address or my middle name, but I can tell you every game, every snap. But he his consistency, I think, is legendary, you know, which is very, very hard to do. And I think he'll go down as the best in college football. Urban, going back to the 2008 National Championship against Oklahoma, near the end of the game, and I'm not sure if anybody's ever asked you this question, Percy Harvin uh, came up to you while you were coaching and gave you a, a big slap on your on your hind side, <laughs> and, and you and you looked at him like you were ready to attack somebody, uh, but I think you saw it was him and, and backed off. What, what was going through your mind? Oh, that's a great video, and Shelly actually shows that to me. My kids love that video, and, and uh, you know, we're trying to close out the game, and Percy – who was uh, obviously a great player. And, uh, it's a hilarious video. You know, I see that smile on his face, and I was like, you know, I wanted to turn on. I was like, wait a minute, who, who's going to do that? You know, Ahmad knows me during the course of the game. Now, don't do that. If it's Ahmad, you know do you, you know, mention? You couldn't see my face, but that was, uh, you know, it was one of those things. I laughed really hard. and you know, For sure. Could, could, could Ahmad do that or just Percy? Like, nah, who who, who I, get I, the I, slap I, ass? Ahmad like, had, had free reign. Y'all would have had Will Hill or somebody in the game if I would have did that shit. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, for sure, for sure. Uh, Coach, what's the what's the biggest thing that you've noticed that's changed uh, over the last, um, I guess we'll just pick a time frame, over the last 20 years uh, in, in the game of college football? What's more popular has ever been, you know, coaches are getting paid a lot of money. Uh, it's became a, it's become a money magnet. You know, I'm in administration now on the, the financial uh, rewards that college football brings, you know, especially the upper level, no, not necessarily all schools, but it's significant. Um, I think the recruiting has changed drastically. You know, I, I love recruiting and I'm out to tell you, I mean, I, I'd love, I, but I love recruiting. I don't like dealing with nonsense. I don't like, you know, the cheating, I don't like the, you know, we have zero tolerance for all that nonsense. And then you start, you know, guys ripping shirts off and throwing hats on the ground. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't like all that. You know, I, I like, 
a 17 year old to me should say, I'm going to go to Ohio state or Florida and, and go. Yeah. And don't, sure. don't, don't try to cash checks. You can't, you know, don't try to sign checks. You can't cash. And that's why I just really, and, and it's all good. You know, all of a sudden ESPN and, and Fox and everybody's doing these 17 year olds are, you know, Hey, what round do you think? will end? That shit? What are you talking about? The guy's 17 years old. He hasn't played a snap of college football. I got a good idea. Why don't you go to the weight room, get to work and get busy. And, and so that's the biggest change is just the, and it's all like, you know, you start talking about name and likeness and all the things coming and the one-time transfer rule, which I think there's a lot of good conversation about that, but it's different than the way it was. And then uh, obviously you're, you're known for, for your recruiting and, and your recruiting classes always rank near the top. Uh, if you, if you look at the websites, uh, how important did I guess I don't even know the best way to ask this. So when you're talk to us a little bit about what you're looking for in a player and then uh, talk to us a little bit about when you bring them onto campus and trying to humble some of their, their egos or some of their mentalities and then ultimately get them to, to buy into kind of the developmental piece uh, of your coaching. Yeah, I just studied this throughout my career and it's called talent acquisition. I've actually been speaking on this quite a bit lately and, and it's all about developing criteria for what's, what, fits your criteria or your culture and ours number one was competitive number two was toughness number three was intelligence number four was leadership number five was adaptability and i would you know as i would that was my job as i we got near closing date on a player if they fit those criteria we'd go if not we'd move on and well we all make mistakes but the you know in ohio state we very very few mistakes in recruiting because I really developed that criteria. At Ford, I was still a young coach. I didn't really develop that criteria. And we made some mistakes. Uh, but, you know, once again, there were some great players. The bottom line in recruiting is that player and that family, the good ones, I'm not talking about the nonsense, but the good ones, they want to know are you going to take care of their kid. I mean, like, at the end of the day, like, take care of that. Like, love them. And, and love, when you say the word love, love is hard. There's nothing soft to me about love. Right. You know, I love Ahmad Black, but Ahmad Black will tell you, we were chin to chin a couple of times yeah. where I didn't, you know, certain things, but same with raising a child, you know, love is hard, man. You want to, you want to really love someone. You see them not doing what they're supposed to do. You're in that jug and you're, you're relentless on them because why you love them. And, I, and I think that's one of the things why we recruited so well. You know, so, so your your coach Myers, uh, for those who don't know, coach Myers, uh, you know, meetings were legendary. You know, when I got to the NFL and they had a, they said a team meeting and we went in there for five minutes, I didn't understand. That's not a team meeting. That's a team gathering. <laughs> I'm, I'm used to the to the 30 minute hour team meetings uh, with Coach Meyer. And one of the things that he told us from the jump is that great families have have, you know, arguments. Great families uh, don't see eye to eye all the time. Um, he you know, he told us that, you know, if you see eye to eye or everything is peach, peaches and cream the whole time, that's not a, that's not a good family. So you're going to have ups and downs and you're going to definitely, uh, you know, argue at times. Um, but ultimately, you know, that, you know, that's what makes you know each other better. That's what's going to make me trust you more, Silk, and trust you more, Dan, is we don't see eye to eye all the time. I feel like that's fake love when you, when you, you know, when you agree on every single thing. Remember that's I used cool. to say, Amadi, you say, when I see a player, that knew a player, another player was not doing the right things. And he said, I love you, man. And I was like, why would you say that? Right. You don't love him. Right. You know, if you, if you really love them, then tell them to stop doing that. 
You know, and that's right. where I, I just, I think society right now, and I'm certainly not the man to preach about that, but, you know, love is transparency, love is honesty, and love is heart. It's not soft. There's nothing soft about it. And, I, and I've, I've tried to share that as much as I can with anybody I'm around is, you know, love is, you know, like I said, if you see someone, if, you know, obviously I'm you can be a great father and you see a kid doing something wrong. You know what love is? Stop them. Yeah. Or you make it so miserable on them that they stop that behavior. That's love. Turning your back, that's not love. Right. What's the biggest misconception of, of Urban Meyer? Like by the media, fans, uh, anybody that, that don't know you personally? Oh, I don't know. I I, I guess I, I should say, you know, I can't say I haven't thought about it, but I have thought about it. You know, I, I, I look back at the Florida days and my gosh, did we work hard and and worked really hard to make Florida proud. And then it didn't end exactly that, you know, I never dreamed it would end like it did. Um, but then there's all of a sudden you, you hear narratives out there that are incorrect, you know, about all the bad guys or about the bad people. And we, we made mistakes. Like, you know, I'd like to, you know, meet, shake the hands of someone who never made a mistake. What mistakes did we make? We cared deeply for people. And that means that would, you know, I remember, you know, someone will say, well, you should, you need to use this kid as an example and get rid of him. And I, I got in a, many arguments with some people about that. Like if you ever said that about my son, you know, use my son and make an example out of him. You'd have a day that you'll never forget because that's my kid. And we have to remember that all college football players, those are young people. Those are someone's children. And we'll go make an example out of them and get rid of them. And I, I saw Nick Saban give a talk about that one day saying, you know, what? when people say, well, go, you know, get rid of the kid. Go do that. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? Right. And I hear that, you know, I, I didn't hear it. Back then I didn't hear it because I didn't care. I, you know, I, 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 you know what I cared about? I cared about that player and I cared about that player's family and Ahmad and all, you know, that's, you know, I, I think what's really good is if people really want to know about Florida, there's plenty of people to go talk to. Don't, don't go talk to the fourth string player that got kicked off. Go talk to Ahmad or you want to hear about our programs and how much our coaches care deeply for these players. There's plenty of people to talk to, you know, right. not, not, in, you know, not. And then, you know, just the, we were very compliant. We followed the rules. We cared deeply about our players. We pushed them to the point where they didn't think they could go. And, you know, for, I, I, I'm, there's some things that, you know, I wish would uh, we could have done differently. But in the end of the day, very proud of guys like Ahmad. And, you know, that six-year run of Florida, are you kidding me? And then, uh, you know, a 17-year run that was I'm um, very proud of. Yeah, I remember uh, after you left and Muschamp got the, the job, and uh, Janoris Jenkins got in the incident and was dismissed. And one of the first things he said when interviewed was, if everybody was still here, I'd still be at University of Florida. And a lot of people took that the wrong way. And I, and I, didn't, I didn't take it that way at the time. Um, and just hearing you speak today speaks on to more of what I thought at that time was, wasn't just he was, letting, he was letting him get away with anything. He was just in the business of building men, uh, changing boys to men and teaching these guys how to be grown as men. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we didn't hit a perfect thousand. And Janoris, I talked to Coach Muschamp. He's a great coach. And he was trying right. to help Janoris. And I remember that. I do remember that was yesterday. And and that whole thing about, like, I was like, you know, Will Verb and Myra still the coach. Well, Coach Muschamp tried to help him too. 
which all great coaches do. You know, you want to meet a bad coach, meet a bad, meet a coach that's going to turn his back on the kid. Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, once again, there's narratives and there's storylines and, and I get that. That's, you know, but at the end of the day, I got in coaching when I was 21 years old because I wanted to make an impact. I didn't get it for the, for the money. I got in there because I wanted to make an impact in young people's lives because I had great coaches as I grew up. You um, you just hit on where I wanted to go next. What are in terms of development of of young men? Uh, what's maybe the the person that you're most proud of, or what's a story that that sticks most dearly to you uh, during your coaching career? I'd have to say Dallas Baker. You know, Dallas and I are like he's like my son. He's coaching now, and we helped him get a job with Doc Holliday at uh, Marshall. And Dallas was a guy, I remember in the weight room one time, I, I was actually working out myself, and I kept staring at him. And he was like a clown. I called him the class clown. And he was the one that, you know, got in a big fight at the Tennessee game the year before we got there. And, and he was so talented and such a good kid. But when he got around his peers, he became the class clown. And I look at him now, and I talk to him once, you know, every other week. He'll send me a text, and we, we stay in touch, and he's – he reminds me of some of the life lessons that we've had. You're talking about a guy that was, if he didn't have Florida, if he didn't have that, the Gator Nation and the Gator family behind him, who knows where he'll be, where he would have been. And so that's one of many, many, many. But once again, I wish there were more stories about him than, than some story that, you know, people start you know saying, you know, and I'm, I'll see it. I'm like, that's not true. Right. So there's there's a lot of great stories, but I love Dallas. Dallas would be great. That's a great story. Uh, just recently, you had um, players go number one, two, and three uh, in the NFL draft. Where does that rank for you amongst your your accomplishments professionally and personally? Uh, so Amado, I'll tell you, I've always been uh, that the one thing that drives me is players, and you know. The, having the ability to someday provide for families and those three, you know, obviously one, one made his mark at LSU, but he's, you know, was developed under us as well. That's a great story. And there's nothing quite like, you know, the only thing is we didn't get to sit in the green room with them and watch those families reaction when it's a life changing moment. I love it. I love it. And I guess my final question, coach, and, and I don't know if anybody else has any questions is, is what's one piece of advice that you give to somebody uh, that maybe wants to get into the, to the college um, profession or coaching profession, pardon me. You know, I, ironically, I give that a lot and there is a lot of money in college coaching. When I got into it, it was not zero. I mean, I made my first year job paying me $6,000 a year. And if you should be in the game of coaching for one reason, love of the athlete, student athlete and remember the word l how do you love i mean how do you spell love t-i-m-e and that means are you really willing to say okay i'm going to dive into this player's social spiritual mental emotional and physical well-being if you are then get into it if you're not don't do it man you know don't this first of all you're going to you know and, and you're not into it for appeasing the media or appeasing you know some angry people out there you you need to behind closed doors this kid's gonna look you in the eye and say i need some help or i need some advice you need to be able to stick by that guy urban what do you think about the job that dan mullins is doing and and what do you think about the future of florida going forward oh i love that dan dan's it man he's uh he got beat georgia 
at the end right. of the day, you know, I'm not a big, you know, that, I've been in that game now, and Lamont, that's it, that game. Steve Sturrier, yeah. Steve uh, Sturrier that's, who that's Coach Sturrier is a dear friend of mine, he made that game miserable for Gators because he never lost to him. And I'd sit in that Sawgrass Hotel in my hotel room, and I'd be damn near sick getting ready for that game because remember Lamont, how talented they were? They were very talented, very talented. Oh, my gosh. You know, you had to win that game. So I think Dan's got uh, – he's recruiting well. He's an excellent – he's as good – him and him and uh, Ryan Day are the two best I've ever had as far as game management. You know, Dan is a really, really good – he understands the game of football as good as anybody I've been around. Him and Ryan Day are the two best. They're so good about just managing the game. I mean, and Dan, Dan and I were together. People don't realize he was, my, he was a GA at Notre Dame for me, then Bowling Green, then Utah, and then Florida. And I mean, it was one of those things. As I was talking on a headset, he knew exactly, you know, our our relation, you know, our relationship and our communication during the game was awesome. Which fans was it the toughest to coach for? Which what? Which fans were the toughest to coach? For like it's for like a after a loss or or um, well, I think Florida and Ohio State are, are very similar. You're elite academic schools, elite fan base, high high expectations. Um, so I you know I I I think they're very very similar. You're talking about two top five programs. Hey coach, it's it's Amon. Um, you know, two final questions. Do you personally? You keep, um, saying, I, final, you keep saying final question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, coach. Uh, two final ones. Um, I, I, me personally, I think you you belong in, in the ring of honor. Um, at the University of Florida, you you know, you've done things again that, uh, you know, nobody has done. You brought two national championships to the University of Florida. Um, you brought in great great guys. We talked about the development of guys. Um, when they come into the University of Florida as as young young men, and you 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 turn us into men. Um, do you belong in, in the University of Florida Ring of Honor? And, um, you know, what do you have to say to Florida fans right now? Do you have anything to, to say to any of the, of the University of Florida fans? Well, I'm not going to go if I belong. It, it's I know uh, for six years I was a coach, and Dr. Matching was our president, and Jeremy sure. Fuller was our AD, and we had great meetings at the end of every year and how we're doing, and, and, right. and we were doing great. And sure. – the ending was, you know, and I apologize for that. That was one of those situations where I look back and that's, you know, I'll live the rest of my life saying if I wish I could do differently, I would have done differently. Right. But as far as the work ethic, as far as the teams we developed, as far as if someone wants to dive in to say and look underneath the hood of that program and say that we had bad guys and that we had, it was a terrible place. I'd right. probably stand up and take a swing for that one. And you, I, I got a bunch of players who'll probably stand up and say, yeah, we had guys that make mistakes, but you know what? So did other programs. Yeah. But you know, one thing at the end of the day, that team cared deeply for each other. The coaches cared deeply for those players. And we represented, you know, University of Florida. You know, once again, if someone says, well, this, you know, you, you want to point to things that happened five or six years when guys left the program, you know, that's, I get that. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we were hired in 2000 and what was it? 2004, December. And I shook Jeremy Foley's hand and said, you're going to get every ounce of effort that I've ever had in our staff and our players. And I can, and he knows that. And I'll shake his hand right now and say, we did that. 
Right. And you can't ever say not one time where you say, well, you know what? You guys didn't work that hard. You guys didn't, yeah. you know, you didn't, you didn't follow the rules. You didn't, you know, yeah. that's not true. That is absolutely not true. Now were there things I could have done differently and you maybe, you know, not give players second or third chances. Yeah, sure. But I'm telling you now, I'm not, I'd still stick up. I'd still try to give that player another chance to somehow make it right. Okay. I ain't mad at it. Thank you so much, Coach. Uh, it's, it's been a blast uh, just being able to catch up with you and stuff. And, you know, I, you know, hopefully you don't get upset of me uh, texting you every now and then and to check on you, man. And, uh, you know, we, we really appreciate you coming on the show and, uh, and hanging out with us. I love you, Amad. I'm so proud of you, bro. I appreciate it, Coach. Thanks Take a lot, Coach Irving. Appreciate mm-hmm. it, man. Thank you, Coach. All right. Take care. Wow. Wow. Hey, write this on my um on my tombstone. Here lies here lies a guy that interviewed Urban Meyer for over an hour. Which y'all which I need to know. And what else we what, <laughs> what else y'all need to answer for y'all, man? We he he sat up here for an hour and answered all of our questions. Even though he was tired of tired of us a little bit, you could tell he answered all our questions, man. That's dope. Yeah, I'm appreciative, man. Dope interview. Um, huge fan. I was telling Amon after we got it booked. Bruh, um, I remember at the time, my, my wife, my girlfriend at the time being pregnant uh, with my daughter. And uh, we had our first apartment. I'm chilling in, in the national championship. Amon making that play, Urban on the sidelines. As a Gator fanatic, I would have never thought I'd be here on a show with my interviewing Urban Meyer. So I'm grateful, man. Dope interview. Dan, how you feeling, baby? It was good. He told me I had some great questions. So I'm putting that on my tombstone. There you <laughs> go. There you go. <laughs> That's going to be a sick graveyard if they, we had the same spot. <laughs> like, what is Everybody's going to wonder who this Urban Meyer guy was like 600 years from now. They're going to be wandering this graveyard. Somehow you and me are going to get buried in the same graveyard. Uh, it's going to be wild times. People are going to think they spelled legend wrong when they put Meyer, the urban, urban Meyer. <laughs> right. They spelled legend wrong? Why did they make it urban? But, uh, that was dope, man. Dope. This was a dope show, boys. Amadi, got a word of the week? Uh, word of the week, man. Let's see. Did we you use- got one, I got one. Go ahead, Silk. Flogging. Think- Flogging, Dan. Flogging. Flogging? F- is, that, is that a French word? I mean, uh, it's a know, black word. It's a black oh, word. Man. Very good. No. Flagin. Uh, I have, Probably I have, the French I have, Quarter of New Orleans. Uh, Flagin. Uh, something fashion related. No, nah, flagin. Wow. Flagin. You flagin, Dan. You're doing, you're doing too much flagin, Dan. You're doing too much flagin. Relax. You're front. You're, you're, you're uh, unrelaxed. <laughs> <laughs> fronting. There you go. Front, fronting. Uh, front, you're putting uh, on the front. Yeah. Yeah. There's some girls around, man. This nigga flagin. Stop flogging. I like Interesting. It. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, there's some words that fit perfectly uh, into my vocabulary. Candy lady house, all that kind of stuff. Um, flogging is probably not one, but I'm going to do my best to use it this week. I'll let you guys know. You flogging sometimes, Dan. You fle- it's sometimes. like a flex, too. Yeah, like, it's like a flex. It's like yeah, a flex like a, as well. Like you oh, flex. okay. Yeah. Well, then I can definitely do that. It's different. Yeah, it's different ways to use it. It's a, it's a flex as well. You flex a lot, so. I do. Um, yeah, that's a big part. So flagging. That, that, uh, that's now a word that will be in my, uh, my daily usage. <laughs> maybe not daily, maybe weekly. 
it'll work its way into your life somehow. That's right. That's right. Well, boys, good, uh, great show. Uh, Ahmad, what is it, Ahmad's song this week? I, I went last week, didn't I? I went last week. Wait, did you? Yeah, yeah let Dan go. Dude, we need this to be a wholesome song. Yeah, man. <laughs> I feel like, like Urban's a big country guy. <laughs> He's got to be, right? What kind of music do you think Urban Meyer listened to? He's either I, a country... him, bro. That's one of the questions we should have asked, bro. Do you just... think we should have made him pick the song of the week? Do you think he's like a country guy, or do you think he like is like a Led Zeppelin, like seventies and eighties? No, I'm good country vibes from Urban. Nah, I don't get no. I, I think Led Zeppelin or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Metal guy, right? Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. Well, well we I'm gonna hear go- what you like, though. What, what you yeah, yeah. Hear? Uh, obviously, country music. Uh, there's a guy that everybody in the timeline. Well, not everybody. There's about four people on the timeline that listen to the kind of country music I do. Um. So there's a guy named Zach Bryan. Uh, he's in the. Uh, this is my understanding. Uh, I didn't fact check this or anything. That he's in the uh, the military and he just he sings on his free time. Uh, but he's Word. got some really good songs out there. So uh, he's got a song called Heading South. Uh, so Zach Bryan heading south. Good week, boys. Same time next week. Yay. Same corner, same time. Y'all know the drill. Yay, yay. Was a boy who was a dreamer And he flew so high and proud in a world full of people out Cut his young ass down No one ever understood A single word he said And it cast him to the wolves When he wasn't well and fed Boys, we've got a riser A riser in our midst he would get the last lap, it's the last thing he did. And he used to roll around in that red dirt mud. But now he's skipping town and that riser's out for blood. Don't stop going, going south. Cause they'll let you play your music real damn loud. Don't stop heading, heading south. They won't understand the words that are pouring from your mouth Then that boy, he called his daddy to tell him what he did As the masses screamed the lyrics of a messed up kid And then he told that old man he was never coming back be cut down again in a town like that Then he surely came to learn People come to watch you fall But he's out to make a name And a fool out of them all They'll never understand That boy and his kind All they comprehend is a fucking dollar sign So don't stop going Going south, cause they'll let you play your music real damn loud. Don't stop heading, heading south, cause they won't understand the words that are pouring from your mouth. Don't stop going, going south, they won't understand the words that are.
pouring from your mouth don't stop going going south cause I'll let you scream your music be your land wild 